Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust Morebeer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Craft brewers, beer lovers, beer drinkers. Get ready for an all-new experience in information exchange and beer culture. Your only source source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers from around the globe right to your home. You're not just listening to broadcasters. It's the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Welcome back, everybody. It's another Sunday in sunny California. For once, it's sunny anyway, huh, Doc? Yeah, it's pretty nice outside. It's beautiful. We're stuck in here. Stuck in here with you, Doc. Hey, I took a shower. (laughs) I didn't. Welcome, everybody. We got another great show planned for you today. Frank Commande from Brewer's Supply Group is hanging out with us today, and he's going to talk to us all about grain. And when I say all about grain... I mean everything, every little thing about grain that we can fit into this show, at least. Is that right, Frank? Everything and more. <laughs> Frank came prepared with an outline, which is my favorite kind of guest, because it means I get to be even lazier than normal. And uh, in looking over your outline, Frank, you got just a, a lot of stuff in store for us, and it's, I think it's going to be a good talk. Uh, just talking to him before the show, I know it's going to be a good show. Oh, good yeah. stuff, huh? Yep. So get your grain questions ready, and you can ask anything from what the hell is a grain all the way up to how is it kilned and grown and distributed and which beer should you put, which grain. I I mean everything, guys. So get your questions ready. You can call us at 888-401-BEER. You can Skype us at the Brewing Network. And, of course, the lovely Daniela is in the chat room taking your questions there. How are you today, Daniela? I'm fantastic. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. How's the chat room looking today? Chat room is looking not too busy currently, but it's a nice, fancy crowd. Okay. Well, it's a lot busier <laughs> nice, day uh, this week, I think, than it was yeah, last week. They're yeah. just logging on, the people. Something about the Easter thing got everybody kind of busy it's doing an important holiday. egg hunting and stuff. But they're back this week to learn all about green, so we're excited about that. And uh, I think it's a first, the for the first time ever, and a very strange feeling it is in the studio, Doc's not allowed to drink. Yep, not allowed to drink tonight. <laughs> we should have made a game out of this, Doc. I wish I'd have known. It, it's tough. It's killing me. What, what's the deal? You're not allowed to have any alcohol? No alcohol, no caffeine today. So Why is that? Uh, I'm getting a sleep apnea test tonight, and uh, they want to make sure I can sleep on my own <laughs> without the help of alcohol. Oh, no. Why don't you just tell them no? <laughs> like, why do you got to do prove it to them? 
Yeah, well, my other thing was what I picked tonight because I don't work tomorrow. Oh, and, gotcha. And I, you know. Do you have to go sleep in a lab tonight? Yep. You they, do? They, they had to hook my brain up to electrodes and all kinds of stuff. Oh, right. That's weird. Where's the, where's the lab at? Uh, just in Concord over here. Oh, okay. So it's not too bad. God, you got to sleep. I don't think I could sleep with everyone just, like, staring at you and stuff. <laughs> yeah, little guys looking through the, <laughs> in, in lab coats looking at me through that glass window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clip, <laughs> clipboards. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you won't be rubbing one out tonight, huh? No, no, no. You got to do that before I you get know. there. You're an audience. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you're into, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> or them. You have trouble sleeping or what? Uh, I have trouble uh, getting rest. Oh, so I, 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 I knock out and then I, I mean... I can't even feel the covers. I pull the covers up and I'm out. Yeah. But I wake up and I'm tired. Oh, okay. I'm tired all the time. So yeah, I'm tired of being tired. Is this one of those free tests where they're using you as a guinea pig? No, this is uh, through a sleep doctor, sleep center, a sleep specialist, and I already went and did all that stuff. And now they're they're going to do the lab test. I get to be a lab rat. Gotcha. And uh, we'll check all that. But insurance covers it. Sweet. How many nights you got to sleep there? Uh, we're doing a split night, so I only have to do one. Usually they want to do two sometimes, so they'll, they'll wake me up in the middle of the night and then hook to, hook me to this air machine. Oh, yeah? A CPAP machine and see how I work on that. Sweet. Mm. No sleep drugs, though. No. Well, no. the key word for today is REM. Think REM. Yes, yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm, Absolutely. REM. That's the deal with sleep apnea. They assume that you never get to REM. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So I'm... Yeah, afternoon, I'm just dog-tired. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good luck to you on the not-drinking thing. It's tough. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was just smelling one, and my mouth is so close to it. it was <laughs> yeah. I even I went today because I had to buy our tasting, which, by the way, what we are doing our tasting today, 6 o'clock. We're doing uh, Bire Moretti today. And I bought both kinds, Doc, Okay. just in case there was any confusion. So, well, the rest of us, anyway, are going to taste both of them. <laughs> I'll watch. <laughs> and then while I was there, though, I was like, I need some good stuff for me and Doc to drink. So I picked up, like, three different bottles of stuff. Damn. Yeah. I'll be here next week. Yeah, it's not going to last with that a, long, is I'll, it? <laughs> I'll pick up more next week. Okay. <laughs> I'll come back with a vengeance next week. All right. That sounds good. We'll make a game out of that then. <laughs> Doc falling off the wagon is the topic of next week's show. <laughs> it's also special because I promise I won't be flipping off Dr. Scott today. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Oh. This man is just magic. <laughs> he performed magic, magic in my mouth. Magic fingers. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Let's make sure we clear up this whole thing. <laughs> well, I went to Dr. Scott Thursday, and he performed his magic on me. That's right. You had and I'm feeling great since yeah, she, then. She was an unhappy camper for, what, four or five days? She had oh, a root yeah, canal. No, for a week. Yeah. And I was just on painkillers and stuff all the time. Couldn't sleep yeah. anymore. Couldn't go to work, really. Yeah. I was just miserable, and then I went to Dr. Scott's. Yeah. He did He did the grind, grind down her hey. tooth for her? Hey. Fixed everything up. boy. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. That's weird. It's like, why are you so happy? I just came back from Dr. Scott's. You don't smile that much for me. Your, your chair doesn't recline. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Now I'm on all Daniela's painkillers since you uh, since you fixed her up. <laughs> Threw out the old back the other day. I've been free base and Vicodin ever since. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. I'm seeing double. I'll get through. You will. <laughs> I'll make it through, everybody. Oh, my God. You've got mail. Kick ass. <laughs> a couple of, bi- of bits of feedback today, guys. Only a couple. Although, if you looked at the reaction in our forum about last week's show, that was something, huh? Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, boy. We did a water show last week, if you guys haven't tuned in yet. And I was telling Frank a little bit about it before we started. And um, 
It was a doozy, and I wasn't sure what the outcome was at the end. I was expecting, like, what the hell were you guys talking about? Well, yeah, your, your eyes rolled in the back of your head a couple of times. Yeah, I, I had sleep apnea like, <laughs> during the show. Uh, and I kind of thought, I, I, you know, because I was so confused, I thought that maybe the way we put out the show was a little confusing. Turns out people were real stoked about it. Yeah. Got a lot of good information, and it wasn't as uh, as jumbled as I thought. And I don't mean just the complexity of information. I, I, I was a little concerned that we jumbled it uh, as far as uh, uh, continuity. But I guess we didn't. Everyone was pretty stoked about it. Yeah, I, well, I think we really barely scratched the surface on, on that, too. Yeah, I'm not doing another one. Not for a long time. I tell you, I was smoke coming out of my ears after that. That's because it was mostly uh, based on you know, mash pH and things. So yeah, you know, we can we can take the other side of it too. And, you know, I think water three isn't coming until 2007. <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm getting at. I need a good eight month break from that one. That's how many months there is left, right? Something like that. All right, here we go, uh, guys. Since I bagged on you last week for not getting to the how to start a brew pub, brew pub from scratch segment. I feel compelled to throw you an attaboy for last week's PH show. First of all, let me just say that this medium of broadcasting information via the spoken word is awesome. During any given show, there are so many little incidental nuggets of wisdom rolled out that at times it almost blows my mind. Contrary to what you'd think, I get more valuable factoids in three hours with you guys than I'd get from three hours spent Googling the Internet. It's pretty impressive, huh? Wow. <laughs> Must be talking about you, Doc. Case in point. <laughs> During last, week's, uh, during last week's episode, there was a casual mention of monitoring the pH of your sparge runnings. Once upon a time, I read something about this in a book. It prompted me to buy a digital pH meter. Once I got the meter, I couldn't remember where I read about it, and I tried in vain to find it. The meter has remained in my cupboard for about three years unused. Well, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I even tried to get some commentary from the Homebrew Usenet news groups. I got a sort of blasé attitude about this and that there was really not much important. Uh, it was important to me because it was starting to look like I spent money on something that I wasn't intellectually equipped to use. In the span of about 20 seconds on your pH show, the mystery about monitoring your sparge water running's pH level was solved. What once was lost has now been found. You guys rock, even if you don't always stick to your agenda. Hallelujah. Thanks, Mike in San Diego. Cool. So uh, there you go. He had this, and now he gets to use his pH meter. Bought a gadget, didn't get to use it. Nothing worse than that. Yeah. Uh, okay, another uh, another quick one here. I would like to thank you for the Brewing Network. Uh, gives a bit of history about himself. He's been brewing since he was 19, which was wow. in 1989. Uh, started with a Cooper's Brewing Kit I had bought off a friend. Uh, his parents gave it to him for Christmas, but he didn't want it. I switched to extract on my very second batch and to all grain on my third. Uh, I was using all homemade equipment on the kitchen stove. Brewing sessions with sanitization and mopping up when I was done took about 10 hours. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, I was fed up with brewing in my kitchen of my one-bedroom apartment. I swore I would not brew until I had the proper equipment and facilities, so I started saving. And now he has a B3 1550, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. (laughs) That's a fair change. Uh, he says, I used to brew good beers, things I had never tasted before, such as Weizen beer and Alt. I had only read about them in books, such as The Joy of Homebrewing. My specialty was an Earl Grey oatmeal stout. I have noticed an improvement in my beer since I've been listening to all your archives, and I would like to thank you and the Brewing Network for making the world a better place for beer. You guys are entertaining while providing a wealth of knowledge. Here you go, Doc. I especially love Doc's informative rants. 
<laughs> the changes in my brewing today are incredible. I no longer feel stuck in a brewing void where I have to learn from my own mistakes and stale books. The Brewing Network is one of many resources, but the best thing is it allows me to be educated from professional brewers as well as learning from other home brewers and their mistakes. Cheers, sunken beer. So another one of our forum users, I think, too, and good. sending us a, a good thanks and, and letting us know we're doing a good things here, Doc, and I thought you'd like to know that I, also. I went off on a couple of rants on the forum over the weekend. So. I saw that. They were good, though. <laughs> I liked that the one guy tried to say, you know, I noticed a mistake in the show. And you very politely came back and said, no, you didn't. <laughs> of course, it was a lot longer than that, but yeah. uh, you pretty much said, no, you didn't. <laughs> that was good, Doc. Yeah, st- well. I read it, and I was like, ah, oh, crap. Here we go. And then I tuned back in about an hour later, and it was all clear. Yeah, well, you know, it's all about clearing it up, and, and some, you, know, you get half information some places. And uh, the thing was he, he quoted uh, an author that I really like, Ken Schwartz, and I read most of his stuff. And basically I, I found the article again that I had read, and I posted part of it up there, what it was. It kind of just kind of clarified yeah. what it was. It's very good. It was good. Good clarification, and it spurned a whole thread of, of more discussion. People yeah. wanted to, to dig deeper in it, which is a great thing that happens because you end up with new information that uh, they might not have found anywhere else. Well, it just felt like they had to clarify kind of what was going on, not necessarily say, no, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get into doing that You're stupid. All. No, no, not at all. I just, I just wanted to kind of clear up my my. My thought process on uh, which where I, where I was heading with that one and you know, where the confusion might have been. So. Right. And by the way, that's uh, kind of the great thing about our medium, too, because we do get to discuss it after the fact. If you haven't joined our forum yet, then please do so. There's really a lot of very cool brewers, lots of knowledgeable brewers, lots of new brewers, if that's one of you as well. And it's an entire forum of, of people just like you. And after the shows, it's very often that they'll end up discussing a lot of the things that took place during the show mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot of the things even that we don't catch because we're kind of in the middle of it and we're taking questions and throwing out answers and and I'll go back and read through that forum and realize stuff happened during the show that, that we had no idea about. Uh, oh, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's it, flies, it flies fast and furious in here sometimes. Yeah. A lot of things are going on. It's a good thing I'm all over things, at least. It is a good thing. Oh, you're you too are. busy typing. No, come on. You, she's, she's, <laughs> now she's over there typing and she's laughing at something. And, you I don't know, know, she's reading and laughing and <laughs> typing and we don't know what the hell's going on. God, these guys on Chetron Watch is beautiful, you know. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. Very funny for <laughs> we never get to know. So anyway, join our forum. Click the forum button right there on our on our main page, and you can check out what all the hubbub is about, especially for you podcast subscribers. I know that it's real easy just to open your iTunes or even just turn on your, your iPod there, and our shows are there. But go back and visit the community. It helps. Uh, it helps us. It helps you, and, and it's it's a good time. So there you go. If you're lucky, you'll get made fun of, just like the rest of us. Most, I'm already getting mostly a, you. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> I realized that today. I was doing the blues show this morning, and and they're talking about me. They're saying all these. I I, I didn't say a word. I just was <laughs> hanging out, and they're, they're taking all these stabs at me. And so I say, you know, hey guys, don't talk about me like I'm not in the room. And I'm, I realize I'm, that's how they talk about me when I am in the room. <laughs> Who knows what happens when I'm not there? The butt of everyone's jokes. This is what happens. No more John Plisse in the room, and, I, and I'm and i the like yeah, you, permanent butt of the joke. Yeah, you're taking the flag. Right. <laughs> Sorry. What can you do? That's my role, I suppose. <laughs> Already getting a bunch of questions coming through for you, Frank. 
Cool. Oh, I'm, no. I'm going to hold on to them. We're, we're going to get to the grain. Uh, we're going to get to it pretty early today, uh, probably right at about 5.30. I'm going to do some news here, take a real quick break, and then we're going to jump right into this stuff because I think it's going to be a long show with lots of information to get to. Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group, if you're just tuning in, is with us in the studio, and we'll be answering all of your grain questions and giving us a good, uh, I, I hate to use the word lecture in radio, but uh, a really good discussion about Present- grain. Presentation? A presentation. That's a little better, and uh, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun, and we're gonna get out some information that maybe we never have before. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. All right, how about a little bit of news? Only a couple short stories. Uh, hops may be a natural antibiotic for chickens. <laughs> chicken boy will be happy to know that the chicken's disease might uh, get defeated. Not by hops, but uh, this was from Yakima, Washington, of course. Hops give beer flavor, but they may also help grow chickens. University of Arkansas scientists have found that hops show promise as a stand-in for antibiotics used to promote poultry growth. Hops were originally added to beer to inhibit, to inhibit bacteria according to the article. So they may be an organic replacement for antibiotics used to promote growth of broiler chicks. The research was published recently in the International Journal of Poultry Science, which I'm sure is a fascinating read. The research indicated that adding ground hops to feed boosted growth. That means hop-eating chicks may not need antibiotic drugs in their feed. Alabama's poultry industry is the nation's third largest, ranked behind Georgia and Arkansas, in production. This is good news to me, Doc, because I don't buy the antibiotic chickens or the antibiotic cows or the antibiotic anything. It's all natural in this house, right, Daniela? Right. Got to go to the Trader Joe's and look for the all-natural stuff. Look for the organic, all-natural yeah. stuff. At the, the same time, flavored. now hop-flavored. Hop-flavored chicken. Hop flavored. <laughs> I'll have the towel, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, while I don't like the antibiotics, I don't like yeah. wimpy-looking chickens either. Yeah. So if there's a natural way to boost them up with a little hops, that's pretty sweet. No, it's the steroids they give them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> steroids they give to the hops, which they then give to the chickens. Yeah. The yeah. Holler Tower Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested to follow that story. I'll keep you guys up to date and see what else happens with the hop chickens. Uh, <laughs> Daniela, scientists are working on a beer for menopause. Not that you're... Reaching menopause well. or anything, but, uh, but by the time they get it finished, maybe she will. Maybe you will. I am 24 years old. What are you talking about? How, and how many years have you been 24 now? I don't know. Maybe a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't count those. But you know, it might take them a long time to make this work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What do I care for menopause? What is even menopause? Uh, it's got to be close to the German word. Menopause when you dry up down there. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> yeah, he did cringe a little bit when he was going to have to say it. Yeah. Uh, this story's from Prague. Women struggling with the discomforts of menopause may soon find relief in a cold glass of beer. Experts in the Czech Republic are working on a beer specifically brewed for women experiencing hot flashes, troubling s- trouble sleeping, and other woes during the phase. The low kilojoule... You know that word? Ketojoule. Yeah. yeah. That's the energy content Thank of food. You. The low kilojoule, low alcohol beer developed by the Prague-based Research Institute of Brewing and Malting contains heightened levels of phytoestrogen, a plant from the hormone estrogen, um, often lacking in menopausal women, said the institute director, Karel Kosar. Phytoestrogen is found in the hops and barley malt used in many types of beer. Kosar said breweries could produce the special beer by increasing the levels of these ingredients. So 
So there you go. A gynecologist working with the institute reported good results from the clinical tests uh, with the beer on 20 women. The volunteers who drank three deciliters nightly for two months reported fewer menopausal symptoms. And they got prettier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the gynecologist, Dr. Milan Anton of Maastricht University in Brno, plans to expand the research. So there you go. Is there anything that beer can't do, Doc? You know, you're you're out there looking every day, and, <laughs> yeah, and you're, right. you're proving it. I am proving that there's article is, by article. There's nothing they can't do. I ought to go back someday it, to the archives and take out all the stories I've done about the health, you know, aspects of beer, and then just publish a book on all of those on all those findings. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, a more of a more of a coffee table book because I'm too <laughs> stupid to write a novel, but I could definitely do the entertaining one with pictures and stuff, and then everyone could just sort of at a glance realize as they drink their beer all of the wonderful health benefits that they're adding beer to their is good body. For you. That's right. So the song goes, beer is good for you. So that's what's in the news. There were a couple of other things, but real long stories. Um, for example, you guys remember, I'm not going to do this whole thing, but you remember me talking about the battle up in Washington between Costco and the uh, liquor, wine, and beer distributors. And basically, Costco wanted to uh, be able to, to buy wine at a lower price because they buy in bulk and then, in essence, sell it at a lower price. But the state wasn't allowing them to do it because they figured that it would cause more alcoholism if they could discount their, their products at Costco like they do all their other products. So they the didn't real, want them discounting liquor. So the real alcoholics could, could drink good wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, Costco won. Was it that they wanted to skip the, uh, the wholesaler and just buy direct? They, exactly. They wanted to buy direct and not have to go through the distributor so that they didn't have to tack on that markup. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Because at the, at this point, they weren't able to do any discounts whatsoever because the whole the distributors were selling it at the same price as they were selling it to everybody else. So Costco couldn't do their bulk discount like they do with their normal products. And, and they wanted to go exactly. They wanted to go directly to the supplier. And even the the small Supply, craft suppliers were going to go for it too. Oh yeah, well the smaller craft beer guys, sure. The, the, they the weren't s- losing any money; they were just cutting out the middleman. Right, but okay. but by cutting out the middleman, they it would it would increase their profits because right. the Costco would actually buy more of their product if they could buy it cheaper. The only people who were for it were the real big guys in in brewing. Because they only go through distributors. So it really only affected the small guys who don't like to use distributors. They'd rather do it themselves. But the state wasn't allowing them to do it. But Costco won. They uh, tossed out the beer and wine uh, uh, regulations. They won a sweeping victory in federal court Friday with a judge agreeing that a long list of state liquor control laws are illegal antitrust violations, which I think was the point of the whole thing, that the distributors were really kind of creating a monopoly there. They're kind of a lockdown on it. State officials said they had not decided whether to appeal the ruling. If it stands, the decision could bring down the average price of beer and wine in Washington, the nation's second largest producer of premium wines behind California. And it's been going on for about two years, and uh, they finally won, which is a great thing. A very good news, a good thing for the little guy. Right. Uh, I don't know how good a news it is for Costco. I think they were doing fine either way. But definitely for the small breweries in, in Washington to be able to sell their stuff there, and, and the small wineries as well. So yeah, cause they're not going yeah, to have to discount their prices at all. Yeah, exactly. They're just having to cut out the little guy. And, uh, hey, good news for the guy who wants to buy cheap stuff, you know, like me. So uh, that's really <laughs> organic good. cheap stuff. <laughs> yeah, organic cheap stuff. Uh, one of the beers I bought for it's us today, fresh. Doc, <laughs> is an organic beer. I bought uh, uh, Butte but. Creeks Organic IPA. Ah, they're one of our customers. Is that yes. right? All right, we'll try it on the air a little bit later because I'm curious about it. Mm. And thought that'd be fun, huh, Daniela? A little bit of organic beer. 
Sounds like fun. All of a sudden, you don't care about the organic stuff? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> boy, oh boy. All right, here's what we're going to do uh, so that we can get things rolling and, and really get into this discussion with Frank. Uh, Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group, if you're just tuning in. He's with us in the studio. Doc, it's nice to have someone in the studio for a change, huh? Yeah, it's always nice having a, a live person here. We get, you know, it's a little more lively. You get more out of them. Yeah. Uh, we, we've been doing a lot of uh, call-in Yes, which mm. is which is nice, especially with Skype because it's been so clear. Been clear, but it's different because then when I make fun of them, I can't see the reaction, and right. here I get to look right at you, Frank. Right. <laughs> Body language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and then usually in home, you know, in-house guests bring beer too. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he did, I, and he did, and that's and you know, in thinking about it, we've had some people in here though, um, in the last in the last month. I don't think anybody's brought us beer. Maybe even like six weeks. <gasps> You oh, and Jamil. That's not true. Doc and Jamil. And they're you know, practically employees, so that doesn't count. They're the only ones who brought beer. Really? Yeah. Well, therefore, we got really good beer tonight. And I just meant to ask you, Frank, um, because they were asking me what I was drinking. It's your Hellas, but it's brewed differently. Yes, very differently. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, well, it's not a hell. It is a lager it's beer. It's a lager. Yeah. yeah. A lager beer. You want to tell us about it while we're on the show? Sure. Shop? Yeah. It's different in that it's a lager beer, but it's made with a pale ale malt. Right. It's made with the Simpsons Golden Promise. And that's a, um, if you could call a barley corn obese, mm-hmm. these are obese. They're big fat. Okay. And they use a lot corn. of Scottish beers. Make, yes. They make scotch with that one, don't they? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very good. You know, any pale, but there's no rule that says that you can't make a lager out of it. Right. And in this beer, the, the flavor of the malt is, is showcased. It's very smooth, kind of grassy, yeah. Um, very easy drinking. the The color is a kind of a a deep gold yeah. color, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I added a little bit of the Gambrinus honey malt, which gives it a, a well a honey like edge. And the hops were um, Northern Brewer for bittering and okay. Styrian Goldings for aroma. Okay. And the Styrian Goldings give it a kind of a kind of a citrusy, but it's not it's not Cascade citrusy. Yeah, yeah that's true. Very nice, kind of the it's orange blossom honey. It is. Flavor. It's real subtle. I, I've always hop. found Styrian Goldings hard to find. I can't, I can't come come <laughs> come, come <laughs> with your place. Okay, <laughs> um, a uh, Fuggles is a good uh, good representative of that so if you want to substitute it out it's not exactly the same but it's real close okay mm-hmm. i've used fuggles a couple times never used the the goldings but i've used fuggles i like it it's because i like it because of what you're talking about you get a, a lot more of a subtle of that citrusy flavor than you do the real standout yeah kind of a, a you know you can Great tell every time when it's one of those yeah cascades drops. are I, I love cascades but they're 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 so widely used and there are other hops these days that are kind of variation on a theme. There's the Centennials, there's uh, Amarillos, and now there's a new hop that we have. Uh, it's called the Summit Hop, which is a local humulone, very, very high alpha, like 18.5% alpha. Oh. And it's becoming increasingly popular among uh, among brewers, especially for pale ales. Okay. And it's the same kind of you know citrusy quality, but it's it's a variation on a theme. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it is an interesting way you brewed your beer because it does look, and then it definitely has a character of drinking a, a light pale ale, but then it's also a real clean and dry finish like a lager. Out of it. So it really is It's a great hybrid of a beer, I, I would say. So yeah, and it was fermented with a, uh, with a lager yeast. At a temperature, actually, it was not 
really, really cold. It was about uh, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Did you do that in the fridge, or you were able to keep that uh, just kind of in the room? Uh, it, it was in a fridge, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it was it was actually fermented when the temperature at, outside was around that. Right. So the fridge was not working real hard. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's a good beer. All right, I hope to drink a little more of it. And when we come back, we're going to really get into this thing. We're going to find out a little bit about uh, Brewer Supply Group and, and where you come from. I've got a list of the things that I'm going to talk about right when we come back here that Frank has done in his career. And uh, at the risk of sounding rude, you've been around, Frank. I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of good credentials on that list there, which we'll talk about right when we come back. And then uh, we'll get into this whole thing. So uh, real happy to have you here. It's Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group. You can Click on the link right on our site there. It says Brewer Supply Group on the top left and go to their website and see what we're talking about. It's the Brewing Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. You're listening to Three Guys. Excuse me, what about me? Yeah, sorry. You're listening to three guys and one girl use a radio show as an excuse to drink more beer. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. All right, you are back with the Brewcasters, and Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group is hanging out with us today. Going to talk to us all about grains, which we're going to get into here very shortly. I've already got a bunch of your questions. You can call us at 888-401-BEER. You can join us in the chat room where Daniela will take your questions, and you can also Skype us at the Brewing Network if you would like, and get all your questions answered right here on the Brewing Network, and Doc's not allowed to drink yeah. Just wanted to rub that in again. <laughs> yeah, it's hurting, man. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of awesome beer around here tonight. <laughs> you sure you want to? I can look at it. You want to postpone your little sleepy no, night, your no. sleepover? Your pajama jam jam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason from B3, not JP, but Jason is actually hanging out with us today, too. How are you, Jason? I'm good. Thanks for having me in. Another one of those uh, B3 guys gets to hang with us in the studio here. Very cool. And he brought a couple of his beers, too. Awesome. Tell him what you brought. Yeah, I got a little uh, Hoppy Brown and uh, Plenty of the Oak Tree. Ooh. I, c- I can never stay in the box like Frank likes to say, you know, <laughs> brew outside the box there. Yeah. and uh can never follow even my own recipe, so okay. it's basically the Pliny extract recipe with a few modifications. Nice. Like everything you had in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 a kid, he's pretty much a kitchen sink brewer. I love that. All right, well, we'll be drinking Jason's beer a little bit later, too. I'll, I'll tell him a little about your background, Jason. When I first met Jason, he goes, yeah, I've been brewing about about three months. I go, oh, yeah, how, how many batches have you done? About 100. <laughs> no <laughs> lie. Yeah. I, I, I stopped counting after 200. Uh, yeah, I used to brew every five to seven days when I was doing five-gallon batches. Yeah. I'm just I'm a brew maniac. Right. Can't get enough of it. But it's you called st- a brewing disorder. <laughs> this is a clinical condition. You should seek help. Uh, thank God there is no cure for that. <laughs> yeah, I find the help at the bottom of a beer glass. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to you at B3 not too long ago. You still brew once a week or something, don't you? 
Now that I'm up 20 gallon batches, I'm stretching it out to a little more than that. Uh, okay. Two two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? One of them giant B3 I've, 20 gallon systems. I've just got a huge liver. I've got to keep fed. You know. Of course. <laughs> and he's not fat either. It's amazing. Very strange. He runs to work. <laughs> to get rid of that beer. It's actually kind of surprising the lack of weight that comes in this room. Yeah, I know. We should have some rotund people. Yeah, you would here. think that we'd see some monstrous individuals coming in here, but we don't. Homebrew is healthy for you. It's it's food, and uh, like everything else you put in your body, you want to eat good organic food, like you were saying. And homebrew mm-hmm. is no different. You want to have the quality. Thank you, sir. You're welcome here anytime. <laughs> Plus, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of work, and it's a work out. Just think about yeah. all that mash that you've got to carry in the big, big pots of water. Yeah. And the grain you got to lift and dump it in there. I know. Yeah. It sucks that you have to do all that for me, huh, Daniela? What? I didn't listen. I'm sorry. Nah, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it was something offensive, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> lift the heavy stuff? Yes. Yes, I have to do that for you. All right, let me go through uh, these this list of credentials here just real quick so we can get into the good stuff here. Frank uh, is uh, an alum of the UC Davis program, which comes up here all the time, but you actually got your master's there. Is that correct? Yes, I studied microbiology. Goodness sake. See? As if I don't feel dumb enough, we got to have another microbiologist in the studio, Doc. There you go. <laughs> you got your master's there. Where did you get your BA? Also from Davis? Um, at UC Santa Cruz. Okay. Gotcha. And and was that just in, in biology? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Surfing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> biology and surfing? Come on, be With honest. seaweed. That's what I was studying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get it right. <laughs> and then your first job in brewing, it appears, was at uh, the big guys, Sierra Nevada. Yeah, it was back when they were actually very, very small. It was when they were across the street from uh, a body shop on a dusty lane uh, in Chico. Okay. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it was back in uh, summer of 82. So I'd do work at uh, the lab at Davis and then come up for a couple of days and, and be the cellar rat. Right. Uh, and work in the lab. Okay. And um, and it was, well, that was the beginning. <laughs> so just real quick, what, what were your lab duties? What did you have to do? Mm. Well, it was, I mean, even back then, um, and... Uh, at that level of technology, they had a lab, uh, which was so important because they were they were distributing their beer far and wide. And yeah. of course, there wasn't then, and there isn't now any uh, any uh, pasteurization. So they really had to have high standards. Okay. And so I did. Um, uh, let's see. As I recall, it was pretty much aerobic plating of the beer. Okay. And, uh, I have no idea what that means. I'm oh, just agreeing it was with <laughs> <it>. <laughs> way over my head. Too. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just uh, taking a sample of the beer and um, checking it for bugs and putting it. Yeah, and plating it out on uh, auger and seeing if anything grew. Oh, okay. And uh, their standards were were very high, and it really allowed them to um, to stay in business. Right. Uh, was from the get go, their sanitation was very very good. And did you get all the Sierra Nevada you wanted at that time? Absolutely. That's cool. And it was it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was guerrilla marketing for them because they they knew that, you know, you you would be sharing with your friends yeah. and spreading the word and I and I was. Of course. That is, you and know what? What fun. a what a I I couldn't think of a better way to market, be in a college town and give out beer to your employees so that they go share it with the students, right? That's perfect. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great marketing scheme. And I turned everybody. My mother, my mother, who is not a big beer drinker, uh-huh. now she's a Sierra Nevada fan. Is that right? I can go and visit. She is, she is uh, 85. And, um, it's got a six pack in the fridge. Absolutely. No, no. <laughs> no a, kidding. A case. <laughs> <laughs> that a girl. Talk about a testimonial. <laughs> Bring her in next time. That's okay. a great interview right there. That's perfect. Yeah, I think a lot of us home brewers got started off, uh, drinking quality Sierra Nevada style ales and wanted something even better. And that's how we got into home brewing. Yeah, I know yeah. I did. I started, uh, you know, I went from the, uh, I went real quick from the Keystone Light. Which I was drinking in Southern California when I moved up here. Uh, I was still only 17 or 18, but <laughs> whatever. It was a long time ago, right? And uh, someone gave me a bottle of Sierra Nevada, and I didn't like it. Of course, I, you know, I was used to the real watery stuff. Uh, and about a week later, I, I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't stop buying. I, I, it really pissed me off because I couldn't afford the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> I, I could afford the Keystone, and I couldn't bear to drink it anymore. So, but it, I definitely, it was my foot in the door. It was my uh, cousin, so to speak. The gateway beer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just to give you some perspective, uh, at that time, back, back in 81, <laughs> 82, <laughs> yeah. you know, what? who were the players? What was going on? There was New Albion. Okay. Brewing two-barrel batches uh, out in Sonoma. All right. Uh, there was Sierra Nevada and their 10-barrel brew house. Oh, um, that's what it was the time you were working there, 10-barrel, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay. It was all, it was all pretty much reclaimed... Modified dairy dairy equipment. Yeah. That okay. was that was it. An open fermenters, um, and uh, there, in fact, there even was a bottle washer there, so they actually reused their bottles. Nice. So uh, it was pretty amazing. It was something that, you know, if a brewery started out like that now, yeah, they wouldn't make it. Right. But back then, it was a you know a renaissance. So it was. Yeah. And they started out with with very high quality, and they and they maintained that, and that was that was the difference. Uh, there was also in um, in Sacramento, there was the River City Brewing Company. Remember that? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, I don't. I remember, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. where a fellow named uh, Jim Schluter was making uh, a lager beer, actually. Okay. And uh, it was all very homemade equipment. I mean, to the extent that his beer filter was a, uh, a swimming pool filter. Oh, Diatomaceous nice. Earth mm-hmm. swimming pool filter. Okay. All right, and then let's see. Next one, you went to uh, Blitz Weinhardt Brewing in Portland. Right. You were there in their quality assurance lab, which to me just sounds like you tasted beer all day. Well, actually, uh, no. There was a lot of microbiological sampling, but that recalls another story <laughs> <laughs> where the first tasting session that I remember uh, participating in, you know, it was basically the... All the QA guys standing around a table, and there was beer. There were there were beers sam- taken from various parts of the uh, the process. Um, and I had never been to a real beer tasting, and I did not know that it was unlike wine tasting. Hmm. So I sipped the beer, and then I spat it out. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at and you, and everybody like looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. There's the new guy. Yeah, yeah that's the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> then Portland Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. You were their very first employee. I was indeed. Wow. That's yeah, I, I slipped. Uh, 
I heard about them, and uh, I went over to their location. Of course, there were no signs or anything. It was just a, a funky building, and I believed that that was the the right door. And so I slipped a note under the door um, <laughs> saying, here I am, you know, when whenever you're open, l- let me know. Yeah. And then I did get a call, and I met with one of the partners. There were two partners at the time, Art Lawrence and Fred Bowman, and Fred just actually recently re- retired from them. Um, and um, and I first met Art, and we talked, and then um, and then I met Fred, and I got to work. And my first work was essentially just knocking down walls and doing that kind of work to get the building ready to yeah. put a brewery in. Okay. A way to put that microbiology to work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Here's That's a hammer, son. <laughs> you <laughs> you got to start, wh- start somewhere. Yeah. You have a master's degree. Do you know which end of the hammer to use? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's the I learned, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect question. And then you went on to Widmer Brewing Company. And it looks to me like here, in case, any, in case anyone's wondering uh, if the man's a brewer as well, you actually established and operated one of their satellite brewing uh, breweries at Widmer for five years. Yeah. Okay. That, was, um, that was at uh, – it was next door to B. Mollock's, which was a, uh, a wonderful restaurant. It was, uh, it was actually a, a real breakthrough restaurant where they had a uh, wood-fired oven. Okay. And right now, wood-fired ovens are fairly commonplace, but this was pretty much the first. Okay. And it was established um, by Greg Higgins, who went on to open a, a, a wonderful restaurant called Higgins on Broadway in downtown Portland. In fact, he was featured uh, in a full-page ad in, uh, in the New Yorker magazine, this issue. Nice. Uh, but anyway, he was a force, you know, establishing that restaurant. We were right next door, and it was a wonderful concept because it looked like it was a, a brew pub, but actually these were separate businesses. There were just large windows separating the two spaces, and we were in fact a a production brewery. Okay. And out of about uh, about a thousand square feet, we were producing about. 2,000 barrels of beer. Okay. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of beer. Mm-hmm. And then finally, E&O Trading Company right here in San Francisco. And you were there for quite a while. Again, establishing a brewery in their restaurant, and you ran that one too. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And then, so is is it from E&O that you went on to Brewer Supply Group? Yes. It mm-hmm. is. Okay. Yeah. W- what do you do for them exactly at Brewer Supply Group now? Uh, well, Brewer Supply Group, uh, we're a company, our par- parent company is RAR Malting, which is based in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota, which is right near Minneapolis. Um, and we, we are wholesale distributors of malt and hops and adjuncts and fining agents. Okay. So it's one-stop shopping for brewers. Uh, we have actually four distribution points. Okay. So we have one in Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island. We have one uh, in Casota, Minnesota, which is kind of the middle of nowhere, but centrally located, mm-hmm. just literally. <laughs> um, one uh, in Denver. Okay. And then uh, I run the the location in San Leandro here in, in California. Okay. And it, when you say a one-stop shop for brewers, you're talking about professional brewers buy their supplies from you. Well, yes, but 
we also supply uh, a number of of homebrew supply stores. Oh, okay. Uh, beer, beer, and more beer. Mm-hmm. Oak Barrel, uh, Brewmaster, uh, Williams Brewing. Okay. Uh, and uh, San Francisco Brewcraft over in San Francisco. Gotcha. And so we're we're everybody's. <laughs> yeah. We also supply a Sierra Nevada with with a lot of their specialty malts. Too. Okay. And we so we we also supply a bulk malt. All right. So. We uh, we do it all, so okay. it's a very busy place. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you guys sounds like you guys got some trucks moving. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, here's what we want to do with you today, Frank, and 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 Frank's got a great agenda. Uh, and in fact, he kind of came in here and and told me what a good thing would be to do, and I, I think we're going to go right along with that. Uh, Frank, you were talking to me before the show, and and kind of in regards to to getting into this grain issue, and and I really like this because we really like it when we get people who are in here that we can tell, and not many that aren't, but when we can really tell that they're passionate about the industry and about brewing and and what they do. And I could tell already from talking to you before that you are. Frank kind of came at me with this thing about how many options there are and and, and what kind of a world we're in now. And I want to let you talk about that because it was just a great introduction to, to grain because of the amount of options that there are. So why don't you go ahead and just talk to us about your, your view about how it is to be a brewer today. Uh, it is the best time. <laughs> it has been no no better pr- time. Um, I remember hearing a presentation from somebody who had started brewing back in the 30s. And a lot of people have this sort of nostalgia, uh, thinking that beer somehow was better back then. And he was telling us about some of the practices you know, where they really didn't know any better. They didn't know, uh, for example, about how, to what extent, air would really damage beer. Um, so they would do things like, you know, let a, a pump seal drip, hmm. uh, thinking that, well, okay, if the beer is coming out, no air would be coming in, which is actually exactly the opposite. Um, or they would fill up uh, tanks with bright beer um, in a kind of a... a f- a fountain effect, <laughs> so you'd get uh, aeration. Yeah. Um, the just the wealth, the variety of malt and hops has it's never been any better. Uh, when I started brewing, uh, for example, well, we had specialty malt from Brees, for example, and it was all of the six row variety. They they didn't have the two row varieties um, where you know you you'd get Oh, you know, a fuller flavor and less astringency. Um, you really didn't find imported malt. I mean, who would go through that trouble yeah. of of importing such you know a bulk material like that? Um, now <laughs> we have malt from everywhere. Yeah. Now we're pissed if we can't find that specialty. Exactly. And I'm a witness. <laughs> <laughs> you get that every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. The container's coming in tomorrow. I want it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll do what I can. Um, yeah, and that's well. Okay, that's that's the that's the flip side. Brewers have never been so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, absolutely. So you know why import a Belgian beer when yeah. you can't? When you can make it here and it's fresh. Why import a German beer, which it might be a shadow of its former self, when you can't make it, you can't brew it right now yeah. with with good ingredients. This is revolutionary. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful to be to be part of this. Uh, one of the beautiful effects of globalization, if you ask me, you know, being able to take, the, you know, it's amazing that not only are we getting ingredients 
from Germany, but they're fresh when we get them. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, yeah, but also you must realize that it's, too, it's market-driven, and we are the market. Yeah. Uh, craft brewing, you know, what, what stimulated that? How come people got interested in that? It was because of imported beers. Right. People thought, oh, Wow, you mean beer can be dark? Right. Beer can have a wonderful round, multi flavor. Beer could be stronger. Beer could be made out of wheat. <laughs> wow. Beer, beer could have flavor. Yeah. yeah, beer can have flavor. Beer can have taste. And um, <laughs> you know, it, it, had it not been for the advent of imported beer, yeah, then there wouldn't have been craft beer because there has to be a market. Right. And so, with a market for better beers, there's a market for better malt. Right. And now with that market, you know, growing Im- immensely every day. I talked mm-hmm. about this just a couple of weeks ago too, and I was reading about it again just the other day. Uh, that the kids who are just turning 21, they've always had craft beer, which is the mm-hmm. first time ever. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of us, even young people who are who are 25, 26, uh, they still start. They they still knew a world where where there wasn't a <laughs> where the entire shelf at the grocery store wasn't full of craft beer. Uh, whereas now the kids turning 21, they don't know that world. They know they know only know a world where the where the where the shelf is actually labeled. You have the craft beer section and you have the other beer section, whatever yeah. that one's labeled. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, live, I haven't looked in it. In so I long. live next to a college, and Friday night, Saturday night, you go into the Safeway, and there's three or four of them just standing in front of the aisle of the beer. And what are they mm-hmm. buying? They're just dumbfounded because they don't know what to get. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to do. Yeah, it, it, actually, there's a term for this generation. You know, the post. Uh, Generation X, it's millennials. Have okay. you heard that? No, no, I'm not. Yeah, kids who have become adults right. around the year 2000. I- interesting. And uh, like in the wine industry, for it. Can I can I mention them? You're you're yes. allowed okay. to. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's a real growing segment, and yeah. so now you have the critter wines, you know, the fun labels and stuff that right. that address millennials. That's such an it's it's a weird term even millennials it sounds like like uh, lemmings yeah <laughs> it does. little, little a, creatures running around <laughs> out of a sci-fi movie it's no it's fun at all the invasion of the millennials <laughs> exactly yeah well it is and it opens up a, a whole new thing and uh, and it's only growing because the the only market that is seeing a uh, an increase in growth is the craft beer and wine market and it's mm-hmm. not the big beer they're actually that not dropping necessarily, although they are dropping in California. I mm. think they saw a 4% decrease in California last year, but I think it's the only place that they're dropping. Everywhere else are just staying level. They're, they're a bit stagnant. And uh, I saw um, a posting in our forum. I just want to do this real quick. It was about basically a Rhein Heinzkebut. Oh, yeah. What was it, in Missouri? Uh, yeah. yeah, it was in Missouri because yeah, it was Anheuser-Busch land. And it was a, a Ryan Heinzke but It was an actual law that said they could only have the four ingredients in beer. Well, they said only good stuff and good cereals, too. Right. And so uh, there was sort of a discussion going on in the chat room earlier about, you know, who put that law into effect to curb competition, possibly. You know, was it Anheuser-Busch who kind of said, all right, listen, we only use the four ingredients. We use one of them a lot. <laughs> well, they, they used you know, rice, too. And, uh, well, okay, but still a grain. To your yeah, no, that, well, that, that's part of their little Ryan Heiskabos, they said, and quality cereals. Ah, gotcha. So they mm. added that in there, right? Yeah. But I wonder if it was to curb competition from, you know, micros coming in and adding other things to their to their beers. You know, I don't know. It just was an interesting... Or cheap imitations that would take away from their market share. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. 
That's just an interesting thing, and just the availability of, of, of ingredients. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're going to take a, just a, a real quick break, but uh, what we are here to discuss with Frank is the multitude of options that there are in grains. And he's got a great outline for that's, us. This outline is killer, and it just goes to show he probably knows a thing or two about malt. He knows. Hang in there. <laughs> you, you guys are really going to get uh, not only your questions answered, but uh, questions you didn't even know you had are going to be answered uh, as <laughs> we're sort of happening when I was going through it. You're going to watch uh, Justin's eyes roll back. Although, until you guys start talking proteins and whatnot, I think I might follow this one yeah, pretty well. Right. Oh, come on. This yeah, that's in line two. I do not think so. It's in line two. One person I expect a little support out of. Is Dr. Scott. Turning your microphone <laughs> off. So we will be right back. Our tasting today is Bire Moretti. And uh, get that ready because right when we come back, we're going to do our tasting and then get into greens with Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group. You're listening to the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Network, saving your life, one beer at a time. Yes, sir. Welcome back, everybody. Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group is hanging out with us today. And we're about to get into the real good stuff for you. Daniela's not going to be allowed to talk for the rest of the show. Because I don't like you anymore. Turn on my mic. (laughs) (laughs) I've already got lots of questions for you, Frank, and what I'm going to do is just kind of throw them in as we go. Why don't you give us a nice introduction to what we're talking about when we say we're going to be discussing grain? Oh, grain. Grain is the foundation. Without grain, there can't be beer, because what is beer? It's, uh, It's a fermentation of fermentable sugars that are derived from grain. See, even I knew that. <laughs> Very strange. Still with us? I'm still with you. <laughs> All right. All right, Frank. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> Starting with the basics here. Yeah. All right. So, um, you want me to talk about malt? And uh, first question is, well, why malt? What What is malting? What are you doing to the grain? Yeah. How can? Why can't you just take some barley and throw it in some water and boil it up and and throw some yeast in? Well, the yeast need fermentable sugars, and the fermentable sugars are derived from the starch that is inside the grain. Um, a lot of magic happens in in malting, which is essentially just allowing the grain to germinate and then drying it down. Okay. Now, let's talk about, let's slow down just to that for a second, mm-hmm. because you're not just... You know, your your grain growers aren't just uh, picking this stuff and then sending it over to you. You ha- It has to be, uh, a whole process has to be gone through before the brewer buys it at, or let's say, homebrew in this case, goes to his local homebrew shop and gets mm-hmm. those little grains. So maybe before we get into, uh, you know, even all the different types of it, we can talk about s- some of that process that it actually goes through before it gets to our our, oh, our, yeah. our brew house. Yeah, you might recall, I mean, maybe this dates me, but maybe they're still doing this. Um, when you were a kid, one of your first science projects was taking a lima bean and putting it on some blotter paper yeah. and 
putting putting it in a jar of water and the and the water soaks up into the blotter paper and it contacts the lima bean and you watch it sprout. Right. Well, this happens on a massive scale in a malt house. Okay. Now, the only brewer that malts their own uh, uh, grain right now is Coors. Oh, really? Yeah. Other other uh, brewers get it from malt suppliers. Okay. They have a separate facility. And um, there's a good reason for that because it takes a massive amount of energy because you're you're so the the grains are soaking up water and they're germinating and then you have to dry them down again. Okay. And uh, that that takes an enormous amount of of power, a lot of energy. Gotcha. Plus a lot of floor space, a lot of employees. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I wonder why Coors would even choose to do that themselves. Tradition. Ah. Yeah, gotcha. they, even, they even have their own strain of barley. Okay. The Moravian 3. Um, I like that. That's a pretty, that's impressive. You know, to stick yeah. to it instead of cutting costs, to stick to the tradition, and that's their own strain. I like that. Yeah, and it gives them that, that margin of control. Yeah. But uh, a large company like Anheuser-Busch, they have very, very stringent standards yeah. as far as their, their grain goes. So... Um, what is malting? What what happens? Well, during uh, malting, first of all, the grain is uh, is select. Okay, these are special strains of barley that are selected, or they're they've been uh, they've been selected. They have all sorts of uh, names, mm-hmm. like uh, one one type of barley, for example, that ha- uh, two row barley that has been. Uh, right now, it's being phased out as Harrington, for example. Before Harrington, there was Clogus. Okay. And uh, all sorts of these esoteric names. Uh, before I mentioned the British pale ale malt. Yeah. Uh, that, that obese malt. Uh, Golden Promise. Golden okay. Promise has been around for a long, long time. Okay. Uh, so has another uh, very famous uh, pale ale malt, Maris Otter. Yeah, we talk about of, that a lot in yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. These wonderful names. And those are, those are a very unusual strains. Okay. Because they've been around for a long time. Usually what happens is you have a strain like, say, Clogus, uh, two row strain. It's been a- around for maybe, what, 10 years. And then that strain starts to deteriorate. Okay. Um, it's, it's a kind of genetic drift. And so that is why there's always there's ongoing very active programs of strain development. All right. Because strains will deteriorate over time. And is there a, is there a, a general time or that they'll last, or is there no way to really tell? Um, you know that that I'm not sure. Generally, it's it's something like ten years. Oh wow, that's a, a relatively short yeah period of time. But then you have some strains like Maris Otter or. Or Golden Promise. It's been they've been around for a long time, and they okay. keep on keeping on. Just particularly hardy and sticking to the same. Yeah, okay. and why that that is the case, I don't know. Okay, that's but all right. It is it is kind of wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> to be and brewing with a strain that's been around for a long time. Absolutely. So the the selection criteria are well, there there are many. There's uh, first of all, the grain has to be you know pretty plump because mm. you you want as much extract as possible specifically starch you also want to have uh some diastatic power and other that means enzyme activity okay. because your starch degrading enzymes come from the malt itself come from the grain okay um and you, each malt has its own diastatic power yeah okay. uh, for example and, and a yeah. level that they each one has okay yeah, 
So I think when you're talking about, you know, when they phase these out, they're they're kind of losing what you're looking for. The different levels are fading yeah, out. The, yeah, there there are a number of things that that could de- de- deteriorate. Um, there's disease resistance mm-hmm. is one uh, one attribute. Another one would be say resistance to what they call lodging, which is uh, the you know the structure of the, the the grass itself. If it tends to lay down, that's bad. It needs to stay up. Okay. Um, and that's uh, a, that kind of that's uh, kind of across the board. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> if you ask me. And there's no pharmaceutical intervention. It's they can help that. No. So I shouldn't forward my emails that are all over my inbox onto the to the grain companies. It won't do them any good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah, that just doesn't work. Okay. Um, so the, there are all these criteria, and they come up with uh, with wonderful wonderful uh, strains of of malting barley. Malting barley. Uh, feed barley, for example, is high protein. Okay. And you don't want to make beer with feed. So just barley. Any, this is not any barley. Yeah. Right. So yeah. You don't want to because it's high protein. We don't want high protein no. malt. Right. Okay. Because uh, for a couple of reasons, one reason is that protein and extract are are Inverse inversely related. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you want for for example a a two row malt. Mm-hmm. Um, you want between nine and eleven percent protein. Okay. Six row malt will be uh, more like eleven to even thirteen percent protein. So the row is directly related to the well, these of are proteins? these are two uh, categories, okay. essentially two different types of you know sets of strains. Yeah, and what that corresponds to, if you were to like be in a helicopter looking down on a on a uh, on on a head of barley. You know, get that top view, yeah. the plan view of barley. Um, with six-row barley, you would see six arranged radially. Okay. And two-row, you'd see just two. Okay. And uh, American light lager, you know, commercial, the, the, the industrial beers are generally made with two-row malt. I mean, six-row malt. And that's because, number one, it's, it's less expensive. And number two, it has higher diastatic power. Hmm. And so it would be it's the the best malt to use if you're using a lot of adjuncts. Okay. Because they don't have any enzymes. Right. You're carrying a, a load of of extra starch that is unex, unassociated with more enzymes. Okay. I gotcha. So, but you get more extract with two row malt because the the kernels are fatter. Yeah. Okay. Fat is where it's at. I gotcha. Where, that's easy to remember, yeah. <laughs> too. That's what Danielle always says. She likes the beer bellies. Fat's where it's at, right? I love beer bellies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if I can interrupt for just a second, because speaking of beer bellies, as usual, I get so excited about getting to our topic, I went right over our tasting. You did. Which I'd like us to do very quickly. So let's do that just real quick. Beer at Moretti, if you folks at home have it. And what I got here is both styles of the Moretti I could find, in case we weren't clear. What we meant to taste was the La Rosa. And the La Rosa is what, Doc? It's their Doppelbach, basically? It's basically a Doppelbach. It's It's an Italian Doppelbach. It's it's pretty nice. So if you like Doppelbachs, it's one of those ones you like. So we're going to try this one. And then I also have their lager, which is just their their basic uh, Moretti Italian lager. And that's the one that I had when I was in Italy because it was real cheap, and I got a giant one, like 40 ounces of freedom in that That was your cheap story. (laughs) Yeah, that was my cheap story. I need beer. I don't need uh, to eat, but I need beer. 
why don't you get yourself a taste of this guy? Now, uh, Frank, just so you know, uh, our idea here is just to pick out different flavors in the beer. We're not judging the beer, although you feel free to do so if you'd like. But we're just helping each other uh, and the folks at home with our palates. So maybe in particular, what you can help us out with is is how the grain bill on this particular yeah, beer, the malt profile, uh, yeah, may have affected it, and the and the malt profile. Right off the bat, it does. It has that real nice Doppelbach aroma, mm-hmm. a sweet malty kind of aroma. It's got a nice Doppelbach color. It's not black, but it's it's kind of that garnet color. Right. Although very well, I guess it's, it's very clear too. Mm-hmm. It's it's even a bit light, you know. But it is dark. It's uh, it's light and dark. Yeah, it's a light, light <laughs> well, brown. Well, two things are, yeah. are uh, just out of the gate here, or into the gate. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, uh, two things are apparent. One is the use of the caramel malt. Yeah, it has that sweet caramelly flavor. That's very strong across the palate. Yeah, could that be in Munich? Mm, um, Sliding in from Munich malt. I would. Um, yeah, if it's a Bach, they probably they probably use Munich, but the caramelly mm-hmm. caramelly probably too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, also what's apparent is the strength of the beer. This is 7.2% by volume. Yeah. Which, um, these days with a lot of beers, it's <laughs> it's, it's even middle low. of the road. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, actually, I can taste it. There's esters. There are esters in here. It's a little hot, even. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah the higher alcohols. Yeah. yeah. It comes through that way. Although I kind of, I think that that cuts that uh, high caramel sweetness a little bit. I kind of like that it's got that strongness. Mm-hmm. And I like high alcohol beers, too, because I'm cheap. But uh, <laughs> so it, it, it seems to help in this beer. Helps the balance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Where I, on your palate does the flavor fall? Where are you tasting that? Um, well, all over the place. Uh, <laughs> definitely in the tongue. I mean, the sweetness is, mm-hmm. is there, you know, um, on, on the tongue. Um I'd say it's it's pretty well balanced. Yeah, a lot on the sides though. I think with that sweetness, yeah. I think it kind of it def it starts. Uh, you know, it, you really feel it across your whole palate, but then uh, as it dries up, it sort of moves out to the sides of your tongue. Mm-hmm. I think that sweetness kind of gets you there. Another thing I taste is some oxidation. Yeah, there's there's definitely oxidation here. Um, it's yeah. it's taken a trip. It's, it's a little it's, cardboardy. It's, it's, it's gone gone swimming here. Yeah. Um, on, you know, in a container and, and sat a while. Um, and that's one reason <laughs> to support craft brewers in this country, <laughs> because th- there's no trip across the Atlantic. Yeah. And um, and as long as the beer is kept cold and, and the air is kept out of the bottle, um, you can you can really, really get the, the full And that's, the full one, benefit. that's one of the big issues with a lot of the, the beer... Uh, makers is the distributors, the middle guys, don't generally keep it cold. Yeah, they yeah. leave it on pallets somewhere, and they, yeah. they don't want to go through the middleman, but they have to. And the middlemen are just aren't taking care of their product as as they would their own faster. Well, the the reality of the marketplace, um, it's uh, the fact is that beer is not going to be kept cold. Right. You know, there's going to be displays, you know, the pyramid displays. Yeah. They're going to be out there on the shelves. I bought this warm on the shelf. And, yeah. Store. And it's... it's Just because. They didn't have it in the fridge. <laughs> it's so important, you know, for, for brewers, especially craft brewers, to really pay attention to that reality. Yeah. That it's it's sort of like an artist painting a painting, a beautiful painting, with with a brand of paint that actually 
fades. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and that's uh, the, the, the beer coming out of the bright beer tank really needs to be the beer that's coming out of the bottle and the bottle being the bottle that has been sitting there at room temperature. Right. And that means, you know, using uh, bottle conditioning, hmm. for example, which is very, I think, very, very good. You know, they if do you use don't the brown bottle. They give it an effort to keep out the light and keep out some yeah. oxidation yeah. coming well, through that way. He's talking more about his uh, bottling condi- bottle conditioning. The yeast is scrubbing out the oxygen and yeah. helping keep the oxidation out. Ah. Yeah. Uh, and with that's separate from light struck, which is another issue with Whole the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the oxi- oxide oxidation with the beers mm-hmm. one of the main things that make it stale. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's and with home brewing, that's you know most home brewers I guess do do bottle conditioning. Is that right? Mm. Is that or do they start out know. that way? Yeah, yeah. And we all so start out that way. That's true. Yeah. So if you're if if you're not doing that, if you're if you're doing say, um, you know, uh, counter pressure filling or something, mm-hmm. it's a really good idea to do what the big guys do, which is uh, what they call cap on foam. Yeah. Where I mean, I I do counter pressure filling. And I take a nut driver and <laughs> whack the side of the bottle. Ah. First of all, I, I know that I have enough carbonation in there to, so that, you know, I, I will get a good, a good gush. Right. Not over gush, but it just comes up. Okay. And just when the foam comes up, boom, you, you, uh, you okay. then crown it. Okay. And then you take that beer and you keep that sucker cold. Ah. And it'll, it'll stay fresh for, I mean, I've, I've tasted beer that's been in the, in the refrigerator for a year, right? Just for giggles, and and it's it's fresh, it's fine. Okay. So you know, it's it's very important. Okay. To do that. Fair enough. All right, let's move on from the tasting then. I think that's a pretty uh, pretty solid evaluation. A good beer overall, I'll say that. I do. You were right about it. I hadn't had this one. I had had the other one. Yeah. Um, you get this a lot of times. Usually, I'll see it in a, a, an Italian restaurant, and if I don't feel like having a glass of wine or something, I usually have this one and couple other things but i'll usually get this okay mm. this listeners it, very good steak it yeah. does it goes, oh, it goes well uh just spicy italian dinners too mm. goes real good with oxygen to me like breathing <laughs> <laughs> i just like to drink it drink it when i'm breathing uh if you had listeners at home had bought the other moretti uh let us know in the chat room there and what we'll do is taste it at the end i had a listener tasting for us but i'm not going to do it this week if you can't drink doc so we'll uh, save it I'll, i said I'll, I'll do it next week so listener tasting will be postponed um listeners i did get your beer that was bug eater brewing i got yours and captain kanga brew i got yours also so we'll do that next week for you too but in place of it if if you guys bought the other moretti the lager style uh let us know and we'll do that at the end also so we get both fair enough daniela he just wants another excuse to drink another beer yeah well, like i need an excuse i for think that. that's a good idea and boogiter or whatever you call that <laughs> boogiter <laughs> bug, 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 bug eater bug eater yeah like in eating bugs yes i thought it was a town somewhere no no Buck Eater Brewer. I kind of like Boog Eater. Yeah, I think Danielle's pronunciation is a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Boog Eater is not in a chat room tonight anyway. So oh, okay, I perfect. Think it's good. All right, so I we're grew up in the streets of Boog Eater. <laughs> yeah. It was no picnic. Exactly. <laughs> 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 All right. Oh, well. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, why don't we go back then to our, our grain discussion, and uh, I can... This conversation is deteriorating. <coughs> it usually does, Frank. Get used to it. It kind of it ebbs and flows throughout the whole show, so... Uh, <laughs> So why don't we go back to understanding what it is what we're talking about with grains here. I mm. did have a question. We were talking about the diastetic power, yeah, uh, which is also abbreviated as DP. Am mm-hmm. I correct about that? I just yeah. saw it in your in uh, in your notes here. Uh, so someone had already asked, what do the DP numbers mean? They say that some malts come with 46 to 68, and others are in the hundreds. Do they use different scales, mm. or uh, is that just the nature of the grain? Um, generally. They use the same s- scale, and I think it's degrees Lintner. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's uh, usually you know everybody's on the same page. You know, it's the same unit, and for home brewers who are generally don't use a lot of adjuncts, um, it doesn't make a big difference between say a malt that's you know 110. DP and one that's 130 DP. Okay. Um, it does make a difference if you you are if you are using uh, adjuncts, um, and I found that it makes a difference too. Like this last brew that I did with the Golden Promise, um, where the the DP on the Golden Promise is about 80, so it's pretty low. Okay. And so what that led me to do, and it it worked very nicely, was to be very, very gentle <laughs> with the mash. And so have a low mash temperature and a long mash. Mm-hmm. So instead of going great guns like I would with, say, a regular North American two-row uh, at, you know, 156, 158 degrees Fahrenheit, I went way down and started at about 141 Fahrenheit. Okay. And just ramped up gradually. And I ended up with a, uh, well... Started with a 12 Plato wort and it fermented just right. It fermented down to three Plato, which is where I wanted it to be. That's 1012. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Translated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, um, also, if say you're doing a Bach, okay. say, and you're using a high color malt, and I'll cover high color malts um, a little bit later. Okay. Um, where because of the the kilning process that Tends to degrade a lot of the uh, a lot of the the enzymes. Um, if you're doing say a a Bach with Munich malt, mm-hmm. where that that is your base malt or a good part of your grace uh, your your base malt, then you want to be real gentle. You want to have a low uh, mash temperature okay. and a long mash and for something like that. Thick mash. Um, well, actually. We'll get into that. The thick, okay. the mash thickness does have an effect. Actually, you want a fairly thin mash. Thin mashes uh, favor uh, starch degradation. Thick mashes favor protein degradation. I was thinking more of uh, enzyme protection. Mm, okay. With a, with a thicker mash, with more of a heat protection. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could imagine that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm getting some. Crazy questions yeah, for I you. Uh oh. <laughs> I'll be holding on to these. We're not going to plug them in yet. Keep going for us, if you would. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so, okay. So that, that's a that's a good rundown of the DP. And right. I think what we're about to get into here is. Um, 
I think a lot of people wanted to know too on how how to read a malt analysis and what do those mm. numbers mean. Can I? Can I, think I somewhere in this we should go over that. Sorry, we oh, were yeah. talk, just talking about the box. Somebody wants to know if it's a Hellas or a dark box. Oh, this? It would have been a dark box. Yeah. Um, dark one. Uh, yeah. Oktoberfest too. He would be talking about. Okay. Uh, if you're going to be doing Oktoberfest with a lot of Munich and uh, a darker grain, and Munich can be used as a base grain, so can Vienna, but. Uh, the DP is going to be a lot less because the higher kilning is going to kill off a lot of the enzymes. It's still going to yeah. be there, but you got to be nice to them because mm-hmm. the ones that you have left got to do a lot more work in the mash. Yeah, and that might account also for the sweetness too that you have reduced. You have reduced ferment- uh, fermentability. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we talk about reading the the description then, Doc, that you were just talking uh, about? The malt well. analysis. Yeah. A lot of, that's, I've seen a lot of that on the forum and uh, people, I got this malt analysis in front of me, but I don't know what it means. What's good? What's bad? Uh, what's high? What's low? And mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. good for me? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, you, you want to be, um, generally the malt is really good because <laughs> if malt is bad, it's not going to be sold. Okay. But sometimes you get surprises. Um, for example, um, you know, regular, it, and this happened to me once, where um, we were getting our, our regular two-row, and a brewer called up and said, hey, well, you know, it's my beer is a little bit dark. And I looked, and sure enough, you know, the analysis showed it, that this this was a regular pale ale malt, which should be, you know, between one and a half to two, two degrees love a bond. Okay. And, in fact, it was more like 2.4. So it was going into the pale ale malt realm. And because that was his primary ingredient, mm-hmm. that 0.4 uh, units actually yeah. made a significant difference on the color of his, of his beer. Okay. So it's important to just, you know, check. Um, another thing is if you're, say, brewing with the same kind of malt, say the same brand, yeah. it's always a good idea to to uh, keep on file your previous analysis just to compare to see, oh, is there going to be, is there really a variation, a change? Yeah. Okay, so it's a change that you're interested in. Okay. Uh, Is there a change in color? Another thing is moisture. Moisture is important. I mean, if you're a big brewer, of course, you don't want to pay for water. Yeah. Um, but also moisture has a lot to do with deterioration. You want the moisture of your malt, and I'm talking about base malt, okay. you know, like your two-row malt, etc. Um, you want that to be, you know, around four percent, no more than four and a half percent. Okay. Because what'll happen is, uh, I mean, in extreme cases, you can get, you know, mold growing. Yeah. Um, but also moisture leads to oxidation. Um. And that would be evidenced by just chewing the malt. Okay. If the malt is chewy and not crumbly, or the term is used, friable. Okay. Okay. If it's not friable, it's just kind of tough. Yeah. Then that could indicate that, well, you know, it's been sitting somewhere and absorbing moisture. Okay. And with the moisture, you get a really a um, an acceleration of that kind of degradation. All right. That's here, 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 yeah, we were talking about about beer oxidizing. Well, malt can also oxidize. In other words, it can get stale. Yeah. yeah I, I want to talk about that because people do often talk about, well, just, just taste your malt. 
You know, Absolutely. If you want to know what's going to get in there, then just take what your beer's going to taste like. Taste your malt. But I don't know what I'm looking for. Mm. And so I, I, you had a, a little description in here. I, I know I'm kind of moving along, but I think it's a good place just to throw it in because there's a difference between it being uh, kind of mushy and chewy mm-hmm. and then being crunchy. Mm-hmm. And then there's also flavor differences too. So, so tell oh, us yeah. how. Uh, tell us. I don't know. Maybe let's 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 pick a, a pale ale. I, I want to make a nice pale ale, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I I want to use just a, a two row as my base malt. Um, you know, what am I looking for when I go to taste my grain to see oh, what okay. my beer is going to taste well, like? Well, you look at the grain first of all, and you want it to be the the grain to be uniform size. Okay. You want it to be plump. All right. Because the business, <laughs> the extract is coming from what's inside, from the from the starch. Okay. Um, and if say you're using you know weeny little little grains, yeah, then you're getting more more husk material and less starch. I never use weeny little grains. Oh. I just want to set the record straight <laughs> right now. No weeny grains. <laughs> Remember, fat is where it's at. Okay. And um, so then, if if you were to use weeny little grains, mm-hmm. then um, you would have a problem, number one, uh, more of the husk material. Okay. And less of the, so you'd have less bang for your buck. You would, you would get, you know, lower, lower extract. Okay. So when you thought you were making, you know, a 10 gallon batch, you were in fact making a 7 gallon batch. Um, but you're also, uh, in danger of extracting more tannins. Okay. From the, from the husk material. More husk? Yeah. And so that would lead to kind of harsh, astringent flavors. And astringence, astringence is, um, you know, like rhubarb or a really strong tea. You know, that's probably the best illustration where it just, it is that mouth puckering. Yeah. You know, um, like, it hurts. Like uh, young red wine. Yeah, the same exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and you don't want that in your beer. Okay. Although... Some husks do have their place, right? Uh, is well, you have to have husks. You do? That, that's yeah. What, that's well, of course you're going to have husks, but what I'm saying no, is... No, you have to have them to help you uh, filter the grain bed. They don't do work. They, so they do have yeah, a purpose, right. right. But when you have a bigger, higher ratio of more husk to uh, endosperm or yeah. you know, endosperm in there, it's gonna you're not going to get any extract. You're going to have mostly... Yeah. You can have harsh flavors. Okay. Yeah. And also haze, too. Okay. Because the tannins... And the proteins produce haze. Okay. So your beer is not going to be very pretty. All right. So there's your appearance factor. You want them mm-hmm. to be nice and plump. Yes. Okay. And you want, uh, when you chew them, you want to, well, they need to taste good. Um, and uh, the, the flavor, um, the base malt is a very important contrib- contributor to flavor. It, it produces really the foundation of the flavor. Okay. It's not just the horsepower. Um, and so you want to have something that does have flavor. Right. And it needs to be a, kind of a vibrant, fresh flavor. And you know when you see it, you know, if it's, if it's kind of dull, if it's even um, kind of stale. Okay. You know, you want to, and in extreme cases, you know, mousy. I mean, you know, or moldy. Yeah. And that's an extreme case. But you you need to really like it. You know, it's, okay. it's got to be it's got to be fresh, and that you can taste. Okay. And you you should taste. All right. Uh, you know, one example is, you know, you could say say, okay, well, gee, I'm going to make a Belgian pale ale. 
Belgian ale, and so I'll use a Belgian malt. And so I'm going to go to my home st- homebrew store, and I will get that that malt. Well, you know, maybe that malt actually wasn't in any great demand, yeah. And it was sitting there in that open bin, and maybe the the uh, the person selling the malt has a certificate of analysis, which which shows that oh well, it was at four percent moisture. Hmm. Well, <laughs> it's been Stop sitting now. in that in that bin, and malt is hydroscopic. It'll because it's so dry, it's going to absorb, especially if it's open, you know, in an, in an open bin. It's yeah. going to absorb moisture from the air, and so you have this expensive, classy, exotic malt that you really should not use. Okay, because it's old. <laughs> it's not fresh. Yeah. Okay. So you know, crunch, taste. All right. Okay, so kind of a you'll know what you're looking for. It's a yeah. You don't want to taste but any. And you have bread. down here that if, if it's chewy, chewiness indicates that there's high moisture. So that's another kind of tactile sense. Yeah, exactly. So it, that could be showing that it's old. But hardness on the other on the other hand, yeah, is what is this? You say poor modification? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a term. Um, it's it's used a lot in brewing to describe um, what goes on essentially during the during the germination stage of malting. And maybe this is a good time to talk about what goes on in malting. Okay. Um, malting uh, is, has a number of steps. The first step is taking the grain, selecting it, that is grading it, so it's of univer- uniform size. The thin grains are taken away and hauled away as either cattle feed or maybe distiller's grain. And the plumper grains are then selected for use for malting, um, the the grain is cleaned, you know, removed of any any dirt or or foreign seeds, and then it's put in a great big tank where it's steeped, and that occurs over about a oh about a two day period, where it's immersed in water, and well aerated because what's going on is the grain goes from what about a 11, 13 percent moisture all the way up into the 40. Uh, 42% range. What, like is this that. warm water, cold water? In uh, case somebody wanted to do it themselves. Everybody wants yeah. to try things. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's at room temperature. Room temperature. It's, 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 pretty, not, it's, it's not like cool. putting them in hot water or warm yeah. water. No, it's, it's just ambient, you know, cool okay. water. And, um, and then this water is aerated, and that's very important. Because what you're doing, and it's also changed about, oh, six to eight times. The water? So they, yeah. So they fill up the tank, aerate it. And then drain it. So you're dealing, and this is part of the great expense of malting, because you're dealing with lots and lots of water and lots and lots of effluent, hmm. because there's a lot carried away. Because this is also a cleaning process, essentially. You're removing contaminating you know, fungi, for example, mold, um, and detritus, you know, dirt, everything, hmm. dust. Um, you know, that can cause problems during the, the malting or the germination later on. So, uh, and the aeration is important because, you know, this is a live, right. you're, you're bringing it alive. The, the, germ, the, uh, the embryo is starting to respire. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like we would. And you want aerobic respiration to go. Oh, on. yeah. It's very important. So it's, it's a very vigorous process. Well, at the end of the two days, the malt starts to stick out its tongue. Okay. It's called the chit. 
chitty. It's not chitty malt. It's chitting malt. Which is like Chit this malt. lima. <laughs> it's like Chit this lima bean experiment you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. So the shoot is starting to emerge. And it looks like a, a cute little pink tongue. Yeah. And so that's the signal that now we take that chitted malt mm-hmm. and put it into a compartment, um, which is just a big box with a false bottom, you know, a, like mm-hmm. a screen bottom. Yeah. And so uh, cool air is blown through that bed of of uh, germinating grain. Okay. At the same time, these these turners, what they call, they're like screw augers, go back and forth along the bed, and they they turn the the grain over. They keep it kind of agitated, and that's so that the little rootlets that are forming don't knit together to form this impossible mass. Oh yeah. And uh, and it also keeps it, it breaks up any zones, you know that that would have. So are they drying at this point? No, it's this is this is all germination. Okay. So they're starting to sprout, and um, at that point, um, let's see. This goes on for about what four days. So you're just feeding them the oxygen that they need to right. continue germinating. And you're at also that cooling point. them down. Okay. Because there, it's it's there, there's a lot of metabolic energy that's generated. Oh, gotcha. All right. So you're actually spraying. Cold water on the bed. Okay. Is that why when they're doing floor maltings, they're always turning it over for the heat? Yeah, issues? I believe so. I okay. believe that's that's the case. All right. And so um, after what about four days, the the uh, shoot goes about three quarters of the way up the side of the grain, mm-hmm. and then it's time to kill the embryo. How sad. Yes. It's a terrible, lots of death. Yeah, it's like a lot of destruction. Kill, yes. kill the embryo. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're going to get some crap from the Bible Belt. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, I think it's a good death. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, that's, and that's when the grain is, is transferred to the kiln. Okay. Okay. And uh, the kilning can occur actually either in, in that very box, and that's called a flexi, flexi malt. Interesting how similar kiln is to kill. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> and it's it's transferred to the kiln, um, or it could be the same box, whatever. Okay. And uh, usually the the kilns are like double decker affairs. Okay. To in order to conserve energy, because you have the the first stage on top, the second stage in the bottom, so the the hot air that is blowing through the second stage is cooled, and it hits the first stage. Okay. So what are you doing in the kilning? The kilning process is very, very important because on one hand, you need to remove the water, okay, because this stuff is like, what, 46%, something like that. It's, it's pretty high moisture. Okay. And you want to bring it all the way down to 4%. Um, but then, remember, you have enzymes in there. Okay, because during the germination process, uh, you have also the synthesis of very important enzymes. Those enzymes that later on mm. the brewer will will need to break down the starch. Those and enzymes weren't there to begin okay, with. Okay, that's what I was going to. That's gonna, why the germination yeah. is the, okay. also getting uh, enzyme manufacture in there. Gotcha. Right. Because what is, what is going on? Okay, in the natural world. All right, um, you have this the starch, okay, in what they call the endosperm, which is the main part of the seed. 
the balloon part of the seed. Mm-hmm. Um, the the starch is in the form of little granules that are in big boxes, the cells, and the boxes are bounded by cell walls, which are made out of reinforced concrete. The uh, actually it's not the the rebar <laughs> is cellulose, the cellulose fibers. Okay, and it's so it's pretty hard stuff. So during the germination in the natural world, enzymes, these are other enzymes, uh, are synthesized and they break down the boxes, exposing those starch grains. Mm-hmm. The other enzymes, the enzymes that the brewers are going to utilize, the starch-degrading enzymes, chip away at the starch to form free sugars that the growing embryo will, will use because, you know, it being just a little embryo yeah. with nothing in, in, in the world except its embryoness and right. <laughs> no leaves <laughs> to speak of, no, yeah. no capacity to, to photosynthesize, yeah. it needs some food, just like uh, a growing chick needs the yolk of an egg. Right, or hops. Yeah, or the, <laughs> <laughs> or the hops, exactly. Right. Um, so um, so then that starch is exposed to enzymatic attack. The enzymes produce the soluble sugars that the growing embryo needs to grow. But we've killed the embryo. And we're going <laughs> to take its food supply. And we're yeah. going to take its food supply and the enzymes that are responsible for making that food available. Yeah. But instead of the growing embryo, we're going to use yeast. Right. So that's basically what's what's happening. Well... The enzymes are proteins, okay, and proteins are pretty delicate usually, as we know when we say cook an egg, and uh, when you cook an egg, you're denaturing the protein, you're you're causing it to untangle and um, be completely different from what it was originally, and a protein that is detangled, or I should say a an enzyme that loses its shape is completely inactivated. And it doesn't get better when you cool it back down. No, it's okay. irreversible. It's done. It is done. It's, it's like cooked. that slinky as a kid, and you, your little brother gets a hold of it, and he takes your slinky and bends it all to hell. That bastard. It doesn't go back. Yeah. And it won't work anymore. Same yeah. with the enzymes. It all unfurls and unravels, but it, do, it won't go back together. Okay. It needs its original shape to deal with it. Mm. And what he's telling about is if they overkill it too hot, they're going to kill all the yeah. enzymes that we're trying so hard to keep. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you have to be very, very gentle. And gentle in this case means when you have a lot of water, as you would initially, a lot of the free water, you remove the free water by a high draft, low temperature condition. Hmm. So a lot of air moving through there at a low temperature. Okay. Kind of like you. Yeah. Then, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and then, and then when, when at the second stage, when you've removed the free water... Yeah. Mm. Okay. Go on. You're all right. Ah, okay. When you remove the free water from the using the the uh high draft low temperature condition, then you then you go into the curing phase. And the curing phase is a uh, a low draft high temperature condition where now you're getting rid of the bound water, okay, that's chemically bound in there. And because you don't have a lot of water in there to that the that the 
enzyme can rattle around in. Yeah. It's pretty stable, so okay. it can stand the hotter temperature. It's sort of like when you're drying clothes. You know, if you have pretty wet clothes, you want to have low temperature, high heat. Right. So but when your clothes are, are pretty dry, then you can turn up the temperature. What kind of uh, temperatures are we talking about for the high draft, low temp, and the high temp, low draft? Uh, okay. The... Uh, the low uh, the low temperature will be at uh, about 122 degrees. So that's the first one to so get all the free water out of there. Yeah, first. and then you cure at about 176 to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. And so a lot of good things happen. It's not just the removal of the bound water, but what you're also doing is developing flavor. Okay. And um, that is the magic of what they call non-enzymic browning, and it's um, or the other the other term is the Maillard reaction. Yeah, I've, been, I've told it's kind of like it's describing how when you make toast, yeah, that's you're browning, you're browning the, the yeah. bread, and and that's it, it comes out in a whole different flavor. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what happens, and it's it's a, actually a fairly complex reaction. Um, but it involves the carbohydrates, you know, the sugars, and also uh, proteins or amino acids okay. derived from the protein. I wish you guys could see Frank's face describing this stuff because I can tell that he's figured out I'm half a retard. So he's, like, got this whole picture in his brain. Yeah. I can see him picturing it and then picturing out how the hell he's going to describe it to me. His, his <laughs> eyes are up and to the left. He knows so. this stuff. And he's okay, like, it's called the Mallard reaction. <laughs> it involves ducks. Yeah. <laughs> he's just trying to figure out how I'm going to figure it out. I, I do have how, a caller here. Let me take how our How can first. I explain oh, no. it to Justin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's our, we, a sort of a, uh, a drunk person on the phone. I don't know. What do we got? No. Here. It's very strange if we get a drunk of the week call already. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, eh? It's going real well. Oh. How are you? Oh, beauty. Yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I've been enjoying your show, but i got just one wee little problem there, lad. <laughs> <laughs> Go right ahead. Well, you've been talking about all this wonderful malt and shit, but you haven't really been being, like, you know, objective at all and trying to give us some information about uh, uh, malt in a practical sense. Okay. Oh, that's and a good segue. Okay. That's a great segue. Oh, segue. Oh, my God. Yeah. the Latin word. We've got, we? a, we've got a long outline. We thought we'd give you the lowdown before we got into the practicality, just in case anybody cared about where the shit came from. What? Yeah. Well, the lowdown is drinking the liquid extract. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the after down, my friend. Oh, and then the, the after and then, down. And then the down down after that. So that's the system mm-hmm. of a down. So. We're definitely starting from the beginning because, uh, like I said, we do this thing here where if we go straight to the nitty-gritty, we're done in like 15 minutes, and then we get to say goodnight. So we thought we'd actually give you some education before we got to the real practical stuff. <laughs> and it only gets better. That's right. Well, better get better. <laughs> right. Have a couple more beers. Yeah, get better. Hey, everything will get better after your next couple of beers. Thank you, sir. All I can tell Doc is his head's going to drive him crazy for the next three days after they pull that glue shit off his head. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, already, I'm already yawning. Yeah. You've had, had the like sleep seven test. I've uh. already, and I'll tell you what, bro, it's no fun at all. Yeah, uh-huh. and look what it did for him, Doc. I don't know why you're growing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew less hair out of my head, but a lot more came out of my ears and nose. That's just age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So, someone Bye. Can see you. <laughs>
<laughs> I think we got another call coming through here. Let's see what's happening. Bub, you're on the air. Hey, you were on the air. Bub is puking all over. Why? What's wrong with him? Uh, he's sick. I don't know. Oh, poor Bub. It's a lot of issues in the chat room tonight. But you know, it's sick <laughs> Bub and... Hey, Bub, I picked up your call, but uh, I don't know if you can't hear me or if I he, can't hear you. Know, you. you know, the good thing is he's that sick, but he crawls to the computer to listen. Exactly. He's trying. Mrs. Henning's kids are being... That's dedication. <laughs> All right, I'm going to drop you there, Bub. I, I had you, but it's just not working. So try again. I'll pick you up. All right, so what's this segue we're talking about here, All right, Mr. the Frank? segue is that there are things that happen, that can happen in the kilning that affect the flavor of the malt and the variety of the malts. And so being so enlightened, you can really understand when somebody says, oh, well... You need a Munich malt, and you know that that Munich malt came from the kiln. This okay. is a kiln malt, and it was dried at a higher temperature. Okay. As opposed to an unkilned malt? Is that what or we're a saying? Low kiln. Or a low-kiln low kiln malt. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you're, you're, for example, if you get a Pilsner malt, which is the other end of the spectrum, very, very light. Yeah. A Pilsner malt will be, oh, 1 to 1.4 degrees level bond. Gotcha. That's really at the low end of the scale. And so that was very gently kilned. And also it, uh, it was um, just this side of modification. And in fact, that's a danger with some Pilsner malts is that they could be not as well modified as okay. other, other so malts. They've got to shut off and kill the thing early. Well, yeah, the thing is they don't want to develop too many sugars that will lead to too much browning, too much of the Maillard reaction. Hmm. And that could, you know, undermodify the malt if they're if so they're a little bit too stingy on the on the ger- on the germination yeah. conditions. So yeah. it's a fine line yeah. to cut it off. So a really good Pilsner malt is also fairly well modified and they do exist. All right. Let me throw some questions at you for Captain Practical on the phone over there oh, okay. uh, that have to do with, with this kilning and whatnot, too. Um, let me do some of these quick ones we can do real quick because it kind of backtracks to the freshness of malt. Okay, very good. So uh, someone wants to know, uh, how long will uncrushed malt keep, and what's the best way to keep it? Mm. Yeah, again, moisture is the enemy, okay. and it, it really depends upon um, the amb- it, it depends upon the ambient conditions. Um, you certainly want to avoid temperature extremes. Um, what I would do is, well, you know, keep it warm and dry or, you know, yeah, or I should say cool and dry but not cold, certainly. Okay. Avoid any temperature extremes and keep it sealed, sealed as much as possible. Okay. Um, you know, uh, one thing, I mean, I've never tried this, but this might you know, make a difference is because you're, you know, brewing on a small scale and you have maybe a bottle of CO2 available, you know, maybe put it in a, um, in a, a large plastic Ziploc and purge it with CO2 and seal it, you know, why not? Okay. But I'd certainly, yeah, would want to do, do that. Okay. And I can't tell you exactly how long it'll take, but, or keep. Bob, you're on the air. Are you puking? Uh, you got, got me on a break. <laughs> oh, man, you sound like death warmed over. Yeah, you do. Uh, I've been up a total of four hours all day today. Oh. But you crawled over here to talk to us. Yeah. That, that's commendable, Absolutely. man. It is commendable. Thanks. Hey, um, 
quick question about the, the actual malting process. Is there a reason, is there, is there a way you could use the malt before it's kilned? Would it? Oh, green malt? You do that or you would do that? Okay. Um, well, you would, you know, this actually is another segue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, in fact, roasted malt takes the what they call the green malt and puts it in a roaster. Um, and that would, you know, essentially caramelize um, and make roast malt. But, of course, that would be a specialty malt. That would be uh, not your main malt because this roasted malt would not have any, it wouldn't have any starch anymore. And it wouldn't have any enzymatic activity. So but they don't germinate those at all. They just take them. Oh, no, they germinate They it. do germinate, but yeah. they don't kiln them. They don't kiln it. Then okay. the green malt goes right to a roaster. Okay. So, Bob, are you talking about maybe if you grew your own, kind of like if you grew your own hops, you want to have a green hop beer? Like a fresh hop beer, right. Right. You right. You so, you uh, is it germinate, you start it to get some rootlets, and you just throw it in your mash tun. Is there a reason you wouldn't do that? Um, no, I don't know what the... The flavor, I mean, it, it wouldn't have a multi flavor. It would probably have a green, grassy flavor. It, it might be hard to crush with 40% water, too. Hmm. Yeah, well, in, yeah, in that case, you wouldn't, you know, you, 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 you would just want to kind of smoosh it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Not grind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to grind it. It would, it would be another animal altogether. But as far as the, the flavor, because remember, in kilning, you have a lot of uh, flavor developing happening. Um, so I would, I mean, it would be an interesting experience, uh, experiment and you'd, you'd wind up with a beer that would, would really have a green grassy flavor and be very, very pale in color. And no roasty or even yeah. sweet honey or anything at all. Yeah. I mean, it would be an experience. The, the kilning could possibly be an extra step that wasn't necessary if you were doing it fresh. Um, no, I don't think he's saying that it's not necessary. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, it's necessary for a number of reasons. Okay, number one, you need um, you you would, I mean, if you're doing it at home, then uh, and you're and you're going to use the the green malt right away, and and if you wanted to have a a particular flavor profile, you know, where you had a beer that was pale and had a kind of a grassy flavor mm -hmm. then yeah then 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 that would be uh what you would do oh okay but otherwise it is necessary if you want beer that tastes like beer you know as as we know it and uh certainly if you want to preserve the malt because drawing it down to four percent preserves the malt um it uh primarily protects it from any kind of um you know microbial microbial attack you know, no, no fungi or right. Uh, you know, get lactic on you or anything. Could he just air yeah. dry it? Like, uh, no, that wouldn't be sufficient uh, because you, again, you need to remove bound water. That, yeah, it would only get it down so far. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thanks, Bub. Thanks. Take care hey, of yourself. Yeah, I hope I hope you feel better, man. All right, thanks. At least it's only coming out of one end, right? Yeah. Sorry, I, I had to. I had to go there. <laughs> this show goes. There. Wouldn't be me if I didn't, right? <laughs> Thanks, man. Right. All right, bye. See ya. All right, I do have a couple questions that, that'll go right along that topic before we move on. Um, what malt tastes grassy? 
Was there a malt that, uh, well, for example, in your beer uh, mm-hmm. that you brought us, you kind of mentioned that it would have a bit more of a grassy flavor in, mm-hmm. in your malt. So what kind of malts, if people were going for a bit of a grassy flavor like that, someone wanted to know what malt might they use? Mm. Um, well, the um, Golden Promise does have that, that note okay. in it, and I, I actually find it quite pleasant. Okay. Um, let's see. I had another one about this, um, kilning or not. This one says, I'm working with an historical beer that used air-dried malt. No kilning at all. Is there any way to get close to that with modern malts? Hmm. Um, no, modern malts, uh, again, they're, they're all at about 4%. So okay. they are, they are what they are and you can't, you know, like add water and, um, and and expect it to to go to uh, to have those characteristics because again the curing is uh, is a very important uh, leads to a very important uh, development of, of flavor and yeah. color yeah okay all right couple more questions then I think we're gonna take a break and then come come back and get back into it. Um, this person wants to know so to test my current malt for moisture. Should I weigh some and then toast it in the oven and then weigh it again? Mm. Would that give him an indication? Yeah, I mean, if you if you really want to go through that that trouble, um, I mean, it, that would be kind of academic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that person has his probably, own. He's probably growing his own. You think? Yeah. Or? Oh yeah, if he you're probably going, has the proper scale too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's you know typically what is done. But if you you have to be careful about the temperature and everything because you could be also you know if you go too high in temperature you could be driving away you know other constituents that would contribute to the weight of the malt. But that's generally how it's done: is that you weigh it and and you and you uh, you heat it you yeah. know, to evaporate any water and then you weigh it again. Okay, and I'm sure he does have the appropriate scale, Doc. Mm-hmm. Um, how many bugs in the grain is too many bugs? We've we've definitely. Uh, it sounds like a weird question, I know, but I've had this come up around here sort of often. Well, we've always heard about how many how many tomato worms they allow in the ketchup. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What's acceptable? Um, you're talking about in the in malt. Uh, well, no bugs. I mean, because um, unless you're making Bugweiser. Anyway, well, no bugs really, um, because if if you have a load of malt and it has, say, uh, you know, flower beetles in it, mm. um, man, you're you're going to have a lot more <laughs> flower beetles in in a in very very short order. Okay. So, um, but as far as uh, you know, specifications. Uh, that I'm not aware of, but you know, generally you just don't want to see any. Right. They'd probably rinse them all out, like you said. They rinse in the germinating phase several times, oh, okay. over and over, and then so you're gonna get the original ones out of there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about the finished malt. Yeah. Malt. You know, that's that's when they're really a scourge. Okay. And you see what uh, a lot of with with a lot of brewers the the malt handling and the malt storage facilities are kind of an afterthought um you know we have our brew house great you know we have our fermenters we have our pumps we're ready to rock and roll oh let's see where do we store the malt mm. um okay well gee you know well i i found a 
a nice used silo. It's a bit funky, but it'll work. <laughs> um, well, you know, if it has a lot of crafts and cre- uh, cracks and crevices, that's great, you know, harborage for bugs. Right. And um, and bug, bugs will grow. And oh, then you protein. find, you know, you know yeah. Bug food, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get moving, moving anyway. grains. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's really critical that when you do choose a mold handling system that you have one that is that doesn't have cracks and crevices and that you can really clean it. Okay. And who, has, who asked that question? Bug eater brewing? Yeah, very likely mm. that it mm. was. All right, last question before the break. Very quickly, how does Brewer Supply Group keep your bags of grains from absorbing moisture? Ah, well, because people buy them <laughs> and they and they um, they move and they and they move, and we're very careful about that. Um, gotcha. And uh, also, the bags themselves have barriers. Um, even well, like Bree Malt, for example, uh, which, com- which comes from Wisconsin, they have craft paper bags, but the bags themselves are actually multi-ply, and one of the plies is a barrier, is a moisture barrier. Oh, okay. And that's very, very important. That's interesting. I didn't. I would have known that. I would have thought it was just the paper on the outside, maybe a little plastic liner on the inside to keep it, but uh, an actual moisture barrier. Oh yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's really critical. And then um, you'll have like bags within bags. For example, uh, some of our imported malt will have a you know pretty tough. I think it's what, polypropylene. I think you know uh. woven bag, very very tough, and a. Uh, and then a plastic liner bag inside, or we'll we'll also see you know bags that are are coated on the inside. Gotcha. All right, we're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, I've got all of your questions in front of me, so fear not, I will get your questions answered for you. And then also, I think we're going to start talking about specialty grains. Uh, I think we've talked base malt pretty much up till now and how we get that. So maybe get into the specialty grains a little bit. And even on this uh, outline here, we can get into, uh, Doc had mentioned mash thickness a little bit earlier, so we're certainly going to talk about that. Mash temperature. Uh, we can we can get all these th- things kind of answered and get your practical questions for you out there, Mr. Practical. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That, like, someday they go, you guys ramble, you don't give us enough information, and then we give them, like, all the information, and they call and they go, hey, could you guys skip ahead to, like, the <laughs> rambling part of your show? We'll be right back. It's the Brewing Network. We've got Frank Commande with us. Back, the Brewing Network. Hey, Go ahead, Doug. Uh, thanks for playing that for me. Yeah, what was that? A little banjo for you? Yeah, Doug? that was Clinch Mountain Backstep. Broke back what? Clinch <laughs> <laughs> Mountain Backstep. <laughs> Good stuff. Doc came in and said, "Hey, we need some banjo music." Had a request for it, so we played a little for you at the break. Although, if you're listening via podcast, you don't get to hear all that good stuff we do at the break. Always good music, sometimes funny stuff. Play the Nazi song for Daniela occasionally. I have to edit it all out. Very occasionally, no, nowadays. Yeah. 
Very occasionally. I miss my Nazi song. I played it like last week. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No. I did. I played it in the pre-show last week. Oh. See? You got to tune in all the, the time. Pre- I don't have time to hang on for the pre-show. I didn't even know there was a pre-show. Oh, there's like now, nowadays there's a 20-minute pre-show where I throw in a lot of the listener sent in stuff. It's all stuff that gets sent in to us, a lot of funny things. I put in a little comedy bit every now and then. I could throw some banjo music in. There you go. But this is all the stuff you don't get. I'm happy that you download the podcast. It, it's wonderful. I'm just letting you know that I have to edit it all out for... Uh, um, so he doesn't get his butt sued. Yeah, the, for licensing <laughs> reasons and royalties and all that. License we're allowed surgery. to play it, but we're not allowed to make it on demand. And so if I include it into my podcast, it's now on demand. Mm. So, uh, Although I don't expect I'd get sued by any banjo players, so I probably <laughs> could leave that know. in there. <laughs> but you never do know, so it's better safe than Sorry. So you live listeners, you get the real treats there. You get yeah. the Doc's banjo. Music. And they get to participate. That's right. And ask all the questions. Which, by the way, it's 888-401-BEER. You can try Skyping us, although it didn't uh, work a minute ago. It's the Brewing Network. And you can also join Daniela in the chat room to ask all your questions. And Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group is with us today. And Hello. we're talking all about the grains. And we're really going to get into uh, some of the good stuff now about uh, specialty grains and whatnot. We've got a lot of that on the list. Of course, Doc has mentioned that we're going to want to talk about some mash temps and things like that and how that affects different grains. And, excuse me, we've got a lot to get to in about the next 45 minutes, I'm going to say, fellas. Let's see if we can't uh, kind of blast through this and, and get ourselves done because Doc's got some sleeping to do. Yeah, I'm ready to go now. What time you got to show up there, Doc? Nine o'clock. At nine? Nine. Gotcha. She's going to hang out with us and not drink beer yeah, until nine yeah, o'clock. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's got to hurt. Yeah, what a miserable existence that is today. For well, it, poor Doc. It, it was the best choice, a bad one at that, but it's the best choice there was. I gotcha. Mm. Oh, fair enough. All right. Um, so let's see. Do you want me to? How about I get some of these questions out of the way before we go on in our discussion? Oh, certainly. Because I want to make sure we don't run out of time. Uh, with that sort of thing. And, Doc, you can handle some of these when we get to mash temps and whatnot. Um, here, Doc, why don't you read that one just in case I screw it up. And uh, let me throw another one at you. Okay, someone wants to know where they can get German Light Crystal, which mm. is, uh, I, they have a lava bond here, but I can't read Danielle's writing. It's like three to five lava bond or something? Three to five liters. Three to, oh, three to five liters? No. No, lava, no bond. lava bond. Three to five lava bond, uh, uh, light, German Light Crystal. Ah, well, we have it, um, and that's called Crystal Pills. Crystal Pills. Do you know any of the homebrew shops that buy it from you? Uh, let's see. You could probably get that. Um, well, it depends upon uh, where does the listener live. Mm. It was a question from a long time ago, so not oh, sure. Oh, okay. But maybe some if well, you know. Beer, beer, and more beer is available over the net. But do they have the Jason? You guys have that one? You know, crystal pills. Crystal there's, pills. I'm not. Crystal pills. No, I know I'm they have pills, but I'm not sure if they have the. Uh, yeah. Is it not just one of the regular, you know, like a? It's different than I could say your crystal thirty or your crystal forty. It's probably really, really light. Oh yeah, it's, it's very. It's yeah, it's much, very light. much lighter yeah. than those, huh? Yeah, Durst crystal pills would be, and we do carry it here at Brewer Supply Group. Okay. Um, I bet uh, Northern Brewer carries it. I think Northern Brewer. They they've got a lot of malts. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, if you want anything that out of the ordinary, it just seems they have it. Okay. It's a, it's a good place to go. Just look at their website. Get their catalog. It's nice to go through their catalog. They've got a lot of, a lot of different malts. Is that North Country or Northern? Northern Brewer. 
Northern Brewery. The listener lives in Portland. Oh, Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Ah, my hometown. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, Steinbart's. Steinbart's Supply. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. There you go. They have it. Yeah. Okay. What do you use that for? Oh, the crystal pills? Yeah. Um, crystal pills would be. That would be good for. Um, I think it's good for for uh, foam stability okay. and for mouthfeel. Okay. And is it? it do you it, steep it or do you have to mash it? It's a steeping game. Oh yeah, it would it would be either way. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a crystal malt, so you could steep it and it would work. Okay. All right, uh, I'm gonna save that one because we're about to get into the specialty malts. It has to do with how the how malts get that nutty flavor and whatnot. Um, hmm. All right, you guys both can answer this on a style basis, I suppose. What different malt and grains are in pills and pale? So what's the difference between making a pills and pale, I guess? How about mm. base malt? Do you use the same oh, base okay. malt in a pills and a pale? Let's start with that. Well, you mean a, a, like a pale ale? Yeah. Oh, a pale ale. Well, pale is kind of a misnomer here because it's actually dark, you know, darker. Right. Because it was back in the days when, you know, the palest malt was actually kind of amber. You know, I always thought about that, but I never brought it up because I thought it was just a real stupid question. Like, why do they call it pale ale when it's darker than other, yeah. you know? Well, with Pilsners, you pretty much don't have a lot of room. You've got to use Pilsner malt. It's the lightest thing out there. Okay. Uh, when you're doing a pale, you can actually kind of mix it. You can use some Pilsner. You can use some pale ale malt. Usually a two-row. Two-row. Get away with you got a little more room because pale is not pale. Your yeah. your basic two row is the standard for yeah. your pale ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's well modified, generally very well modified, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so it's it you would have a you know fuller uh, fuller uh, flavor. Um, the one thing that always interests me about pilsners and pilsner malt is that there is another flavor. There's a there's a kind of a flavor uh, a note. Actually, it's more than a note. It is a flavor. And you can only find it really with Pilsner malts, and generally Pilsner malts that come from Europe. And the origin of that flavor, I don't know what it is. Um, I think it might be a sulfur-derived flavor, okay. but it's there. And um, I I love that flavor. Then you got a brand for them? Um, well, um, I really liked the Durst Durst makes two Pilsner malts, uh, the the Pilsner and the Turbo Pils, mm. and they both have pretty much the same analysis. Although the Turbo Pils is a little bit higher modified, and I actually used them interchangeably, and they were fine. Uh, but they have the Turbo Pils because it's apparently more uh, adaptable for a a single temperature infusion mash. Mm. You know, so you don't have to do any of the fancy monkey business with a programmed mash. I love that. Yeah. Screw the monkey business, Doc. And <laughs> get and, straight to it. And it's well modified, so I never had problems with glucans. Okay. And we'll talk about glucans later, I guess. All I right. really want to talk about glucans. Okay, let's do that in, in just a few. What's the difference in making a carapils and a crystal malt? Mm. Okay, well, carapils, that's a very interesting name, and it is actually a trademark name by uh, the Brees Malting Company in Chilton, Wisconsin. Okay. But then, you know, it's funny because you'll you'll find, like, some imported malts. They also call themselves Carapils or Caramel Pilsner. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're actually completely different malts. 
Okay. This is interesting. Um, and it can be kind of confusing because they're both, you know, very low color. Um, but they, they looked, they look differently. Now, the Brees Carapils TM malt is very low color. Um, it's very hard, you know, if you try to chew it. It's, it's very, very hard, very glassy. Is that to say it has almost zero moisture in it or just the way the, the actual husk is? It's, well, it's, it's the way that it is, it is produced. And I think it's pretty proprietary, actually, how they make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it's a high dried, you know, high kilned malt. Okay. Um, but I, I think maybe it's not really well modified to begin with. That's that's speculation. Yeah. But that's pretty academic. The main thing is that this is what they call a dextrine malt. Okay. So in other words, um, when it's mashed along with you know all the other grains, um, it produces a lot of dextrins. So dextrins are, you know, essentially chains of uh, of sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, in this branch chain of sugar that are, in this case, not, uh, in this case, are resistant to the action of, of starch degrading enzymes. So they remain. Okay. Okay. As these, <coughs> these polymers of sugar, which contribute mouthfeel, some sweetness, and foam stability to okay. your beer. Okay. So uh, you can have, you know, in using carapils, you know, you could have a, a fairly, Light beer, you know, maybe an 11, 12 Plato wort, but it has some mouthfeel, some body, hmm. and that's contributed by this dextrine malt. Okay. But then, say, a, an imported Carapils malt, uh, say, German Carapilsner, or like that Crystal Pills from Durst that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, it, it's a, it's essentially a crystal malt. So it's a green malt that has been put in a roaster. And in this case, the the roasting conditions are very mild, so there's not a whole lot of temperature that's developed. Okay. And but yet the the uh, results are kind of the same. In other words, you get you get a uh, contribution to foam stability and mouthfeel. Okay. I don't know why I have this question about hops here. I'm going to hold on to that for a second. All right, Doc, you can jump in on this one, too. Uh, how long do you recommend for infusion mashing with a well-modified malt? How long is too long in the mash tun? Bits are too long? Not really. <laughs> Th- this goes around and around. Until it gets the, sour. Yeah, yeah, like overnight. There's a lot of people trying to do overnight mashes and stuff. Uh, generally, with a well-modified malt, most people say in the first 15 minutes, most of it's done. You, you're going to get a little bit more out of it. Uh, you can mash longer if you want, but about the first 15 minutes, you're going to get 90%, maybe. And if you want a little more extracted, throw another pound in there. Hmm. If you want a real short mash. Yeah, I remember reading an, uh, an article by uh, Dr. Lewis from, from Davis where he said, hey, you know, with with these, these well-modified two-row malts, you know, you're better off having a high-temperature, brief conversion rest. And then you're you're not extracting as as much of the tannins, so you'll mm-hmm. get a you'll get a uh, smoother beer that way. But I think that was more speculative, and and you know it's not not something that has actually been tried. It would be an interesting kind of a research project, I think, for brewers. So high temp, short rest, and get yeah. out of there. Yeah, exactly. Get it out of there. 
So right. too long is too long. Uh, yeah, it can get lactic if you leave it overnight. Yeah, I mean, really extreme cases. In other words, do what's necessary. Like with the Golden Promise, you know, when I first was brewing with it, I used the standard temperature of what, you know, 155, 154 degrees Fahrenheit, and it, it went fat on me. <laughs> you know, I had a 12 Plato wort, but yet it finished it off at like 3.7 Plato. I thought, ooh, you know, maybe I need to be more, a little bit more gentle. And then I tried it at a much lower mash temperature, you know, 141, ramping up to 145, and then up to, you know, mash off at about, what, 158. And voila, you know, I, I had it uh, quite fermentable. It finished just, just right. See, and that's the whole beauty of doing all grain. Mm. You can dial it in like that on the next one. Yeah. Whatever, man. <laughs> Rubbing that in, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oz is uh, is gonna is gonna help me do all green even he says he says he might make a trip out here and uh, if he does he's gonna okay. force me to do it okay, yeah push your head down in that mash ton yeah all right well why don't we do this since we're on the mash deal why don't we start talking mash temperatures uh, via your uh, outline that you have for us here Frank and then we can mm. get into this glucans that you want to talk about and the glucans. glucan rest and protein rests and all, all, let's demystify some of these things about the mash process. All right. Yeah. So you've got something. Uh, what, what you have as a basis for your mash uh, temperature here in the beginning, talking about a glucan rest. What is a glucan, and and why are we resting for it? Because I've heard of protein mm. rests, and a, and a, I've heard of resting because I'm lazy, and lots of other different. But I've not heard of the glucan rest. So maybe uh, we can, t- you know, uh, give me a lowdown about that. Well, earlier on the talk. Uh, I was talking about uh, how the in the the starchy endosperm, which is the you know the main part of the the grain, the starch grains are enclosed in boxes in the cell walls. Okay. Cell walls are made out of uh, essentially cellulose. Now cellulose is a polymer, is a chain of glucose, glucose, just like starch would be, you know, essentially. But the the linkages are different, so it's actually you know, a different sort of a molecule. Hmm. And um, normally, in during germination or the modification of the grain, enzymes are hard at work and they dissolve that box. They dissolve the cellulose. Cellulose is what is known as a as a glucan. All right, the well, polymer so, of and in long chains. Yeah, are bad. Yeah, very bad. And so sometimes what happens in some grains, uh, and these days more like Pilsner malts, you know, the lighter malts, is you don't have really complete modification. And so you'll have some of these longer chain glucans hanging around. Hmm. And that can be a problem. And what happens is they form what they call gums. And those are evident... When you're when you're trying to run off the grain, run off your mash, and man, it's just not flowing, and you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting and it's just trickling through, and then you might taste the the um, the wort and you find wow, you know, there's something in there that's like coating the roof of my mouth, hmm. like a good ice cream. Kind of, kind of sticky. Yeah. All right. And it persists. And it persists even when you're trying to, say, filter the beer, if you're filtering. Mm-hmm. And it gums up the filter. It's just terrible stuff. Okay. And um, now, 
generally, brewers these days don't have to worry about glucans. Okay. Because the grain is generally well modified. Now, there are naturally occurring enzymes in the malt okay. that will break down glucans. Uh, but they're very what they call heat light labile. Uh, they're sensitive to higher temperatures. So if you want to have a glucan rest, mm-hmm. you know, be my guest, that'll be 104 degrees. But generally, that's pretty academic, I think. Okay. Yeah, because of the well-modified malt. Right. Perhaps so, if you, you know, if if you're using a a pilsner malt or something that you might know is not well modified, or you or you pop it in your mouth and it's and it's really kind of hard, right? Then you might say, okay, just to be on the safe side, I'll have a glucan rest at 104 degrees. So, but, uh, let me point out something that people don't realize a lot: that malting and mashing are about the same thing. Uh, you're breaking down things. So the less they do in the malting stage, the more you're going to have to do in the mash. And as, as you were talking about, uh, some of these things that end up under-modified because they have to halt the, the malting part of it, like for a pilsner the malt. Germination, the yeah. germination and stuff. They're kind of halting the, the malting part. So you're you're not letting it have enough time to break things down. Now you're going to have to deal with it in the other end. Yeah. So if you've got some of these... Under modified malts, you're gonna have more glucans because it didn't get taken care of in in the malting phase. Okay. Yeah. So you're gonna have to deal with it now. Mostly though, they do a real good job at modifying yeah. the malts and getting most of all that stuff done for you already when they're malting it. So yeah. you don't do one, Doc? Uh, I haven't. I don't usually use. Uh, most of my malts are pretty modified, okay. and, and uh, I'm gonna be end up brewing a lot of lighter beers here pretty soon, and I'm mm. probably gonna have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another another thing that you could do more commercially, I guess, uh, among homebrewers, you don't have access to uh, beta-glucanases, which is an enzyme preparation that you can use. You guys sell them. Uh, yeah, if you want a five-gallon <laughs> jug. I, I, I was looking on, his, uh, on their website they have, and they sell all kinds of additives. Doc probably that. has a five-gallon jug. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pour yeah. it on the kids. Yeah. And, these, and these, are, you know, these are basically... Um, Melting. Like cellulases, okay. You know, and and in fact, there's um, beta glucanase. It's derived from uh, a, a mold called trichoderma, which was uh, recognized. Uh, when was it? During, I think it was during the Korean, or maybe it was no. I think it was in the Vietnam War. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when um, <laughs> probably one of the only good things that came out of that war <laughs> was um, that was yeah <laughs> was somebody found that gee you know. Cotton clothing, cotton is cellulose, right? Yeah. Cotton bags, clothing, everything was just, just melting. actually melting. <laughs> and wow. it was because of this this uh this mold or this fungus that had a very, very potent uh cellulase. Okay. And so nowadays they're using that enzyme for all sorts of great stuff. In fact, for even uh getting alcohol hmm. from Cellulose. Okay. From cellulose waste. Breaking it down enough so that yeah. it ferment. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if you were a home brewer and you're ambitious enough to malt your own grain, would you be better off going through a step mash like this, through the glucan rest and the protein rest and everything, than just through the single infusion? Mm. Um, yeah, I would I would say so. Because your uh, malting techniques are probably not up to, to par. Right. You yeah, have to a cover all bases. Malting and, hmm. Yeah, but you could always, you know, do sort of a preview. In other words, if you're chewing the malt and it's not really friable, and you think, well, maybe. Kind of chewy, you know, not. 
Yeah, and you could also look at the endosperm. I mean, you've heard the expression steely versus mealy. Um, if you kind of cut the grain in half and you look at it, if the endosperm, you know, the starchy part is nice and white mm-hmm. and kind of a matte finish, you know, chalky, then that's a good sign. Okay. If it's steely, if it kind of, you know, reflects light, then that means that there's still some of the, you know, the the cell wall material present. Ah. And so that would be a preview that, mm, you know, maybe this is under modified. Oh, that's a great way to tell right yeah. there. And, you know, as as another aside, you know, uh, there are a number of homebrewers that will use what they call, you know, like uh, triple decoction mashing. Yeah. And that's actually a technique that was it's pretty old, and that was really for under-modified malt. Okay. Where the you'd have what they call steely ends or hard ends of the malt of the of the malt grain that were still under modified. Okay. Okay, and so that's when you 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 just boil, <laughs> you know, you you take a uh, um, some of the mash and you boil it, and you add it back to the main mash to essentially raise the temperature. Hmm. But that boiling will help, um, you know, dissolve the. Uh, the glue cans. It's like when you're cooking cereal, cooking oatmeal, cooking yeah. cream of wheat, whatever it is. When you're boiling it up there, it breaks everything down. Yeah, but, you know, you'll still have the glue cans. Okay. You don't want them. All right. Uh, why don't we move on then to protein rest? And while we're at it, uh, just, you know, very briefly, when we say a rest, what are we talking about, Doctor? Does that mean you, you stop the temperature at that point and wait a little while? What's a rest? Well, you generally you're raising the temperature of the mash bed to whatever temperature because you're dealing with different uh, enzymes at different temperatures because they've all got uh, a perfect temperature for them, one that they work better at. Okay. So as we're going up through the different temperatures, we know we stop at these certain spots because that's when these enzymes work their best. I see. So the the gluconase works best at 104. So you stop there. Right. And then how long do you wait for? Depends. Uh, um, a few things, but what it is, uh, probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes, probably be fine. Okay. At that. Then you start raising it to the next one and have the next set of enzymes working on the next thing, which is what we're going into next is the next is the protein rest. Okay. So if we were to start our mash and we wanted to do both a glucan rest and a protein rest, we would start heating it and then we would stop at 104 for the glucan rest and leave it there. For about 10 minutes. For about 10 minutes. Okay. And then we would go on and then we would continue. We'd... we'd Heat it up again. Add heat one way or another. And we'd get up to our protein rest. At 122. At 122. Okay. So what's happening here then at our protein rest? Well, the uh, what you're looking at generally is a delicate balance because you're dealing with, with uh, the enzymes themselves are proteins. Mm-hmm. And so... At a at a particular temperature, what they call the the optimum temperature, they're working as fast as they possibly can. Um, that is is where they're they're operating at the fastest rate. But then you have another another factor, which is their deterioration, mm-hmm. because being proteins, they are sensitive to heat, and some proteins are more sensitive than others. So you have these two things working. You know, on one hand. The, the the enzymes are uh, are working at the fastest pace they can. On the other hand, the heat can be degrading them as so fast that's as they can. As fast as they can. They okay. work at other temperatures too. Yeah. But they peak at more or less this certain temperature. Yeah. At this one twenty two. But you're getting bit on the other end 
because yeah. at the lower temperatures, you're not losing those enzymes. At the peak temperature, the optimum temperature, you're starting to lose them faster too. Okay. So it's a balance, like he said. Is it going to mow through everything you're trying to get it to do before they're all denatured and killed, or at least most of them? Yeah, exactly. And then it starts slowing down again because you're losing losing the enzymes that are actually working, doing what you want them to do. And we're not talking about all the same enzymes. Mm-hmm. So it's not – we're talking about just this certain family enzymes that you want them to do, the glucan rest. And it's a different family of uh, proteins that want to do the, the enzymes that want to do the protein rest. Okay. So as you're, we say we're losing these enzymes, we're only losing those enzymes. Gotcha. So we've got other ones that we're going to be using. That are more the, heat resistant. Yeah. yeah, they're more heat resistant. We're going to be using those at the higher temperatures. Yeah. Now, um, so the protein rest, uh, protein rest is about 120 degrees, 122 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, that is a point where there are still you know, some protein-degrading enzymes, naturally occurring protein-degrading enzymes, that will go ahead and they will um, either break down uh, or release some, um, some of the uh, insoluble enzymes or insoluble proteins, excuse me, that are in the malt, um, or they will break down some soluble enzyme, uh, soluble proteins uh, further into peptides and even amino acids. Okay. Now, um, this is actually a controversial, sort of a controversial subject, um, and it, it's been found actually in Davis. This was uh, research done at uh, Dr. Lewis's lab. Mm-hmm. showed that, well, you know, most of the protein degradation or the necessary protein degradation occurs really during germination, during the malting. Hmm. And practically, and we're talking practically, <laughs> um, the main utility of a protein rest is not really protein degradation so much as the beginning of a ramp of temperature. Okay. Um, and in this case, we're talking about heading up to the conversion rest. So you're ramping up from, say, 122 degrees up to, depending upon what you know, malt you're using, say, 154, 156 degrees or more. And so when you're ramping up the temperature, you're kind of affecting a balance here. You're... you're prolonging the life of enzymes necessary for breaking down the starch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'll you'll have good fermentability. Okay. Remember you know? I, remember I said these enzymes work at lower temperatures. We're talking about the sacrific uh, the the conversion uh, enzymes right now. Yeah. Uh, what he's saying is you're ramping them up. They're still working. Starting yeah. to work faster as you go up as opposed to Doing in right at your sacrification temperature. Yeah, boom, okay. and then boom, and then boom, and, and you're done. It's, okay. It's actually ramping. And this is actually occurs, say, in larger breweries when, they're, when they have, when they're using adjuncts, that is, unmalted sources of, of uh, fermentables. Okay. Okay. And they have a vessel called a cereal cooker where they have, uh, say, they have rice mm-hmm. that they've cooked. You know, um, with say 10% malt. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they've they've made this this separate mash essentially, and then they're pumping it back into the main mash, which is 100% malt. Okay, okay, and that is a ramp. 
You know, they're raising the temperature that way. Right. And they're doing it in a steady way. So is it then important how long that ramp is? You know, in talking about, how, you know, the, the length of time you get up to this? Yeah. 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 Until you start getting diminishing returns because you're taking too long of a ramp, you're starting to lose money okay. on the other end. Yeah, you want to you want to move the stuff through because you have another brew, sure. you know, in on uh on but, deck. But what about home then? I mean, what's the difference between taking 12 hours to get up to that temperature it, it, or there's, taking There's only so much it can do in there until you're done converting. Okay. Okay. So you want to convert slow so it converts it saves your enzymes and you're going to get a better conversion rate. But you're going to run out. Okay. You're going to run out of convertible starches, and and so you could, you know, the last 12 hours is useless to you. Yeah, the, no the job is done. I mean, I, really, the 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 main theme is here is that the malt that you're using is really good malt. Yeah, yeah. It's well modified, and it doesn't really need a whole lot of help. Okay. The protein has has been degraded or you know broken down during the the germination period. Okay. And, you know, inside of, you know, 15 minutes, you have good conversion. So, you know, maybe you mash in at 120 degrees. Okay. And then you'll ramp up to, you know, 156 degrees. I mean, with a standard, you know, two-row malt over what, you know, a 30-minute period. And then the deed is done. And then you'll do a mash-off temperature up to maybe 170 60, degrees. Yeah, 170, yeah. 65, 170. Yeah. Kill, okay. every, kill all the enzymes. Yeah. But, you know, mainly actually just to, facilita- to facilitate your runoff because your your wort will be... Um, Less viscous. Exactly. And, yeah. If you let your, your mash bed get down to 140, it's, it runs slow. Yeah. Okay. Especially if you're using a lot of adjuncts. A lot of wheat, uh, anything with a lot of a lot of protein in it, it can get real slow. Okay. Yeah. So you want to keep it up. So make life easier, you know. Heat it up. Yeah, but and not too hot. But not too hot. Yeah, because if you not if, above one seventy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you heat it up too hot, then you'll start extracting tannins. Okay. And uh, you want to be gentle that way. Okay. So those are really the guiding principles, you know, keeping it, keeping it simple, and another. Well, one downside, actually, to an extended protein rest is that um, the foam stability of beer, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, uh, a big contribution to foam stability are these, these larger proteins okay. or you know, polypeptides. So you want to actually keep those intact. And so you, if you have an extended protein rest, then you'll be chewing those up. And you'll end up with a beer that doesn't have the head retention that you had wanted. Okay. And also, there's a certain amount of mouthfeel that is associated with those proteins. Gotcha. So there are a lot of folks who say, "Hey, you know, keep actually, you know, don't have really any protein rest, and if you have, it's really mainly the beginning of your ramp." Right. So don't hang around down there at 122 too long. Don't. Yeah. Just start the ramp up there and start moving. Okay. Yeah. All right, that makes sense, even to me. Not bad, boys. All right. We did good. Now, as I understand all of these things, let me throw a bunch of questions that I will have no idea what you're talking about uh, uh, from our, our listeners that we have here. A few scientific questions for you. If the... Uh, sorry, Daniela. I ahead. have to say something uh-huh. before you guys go off with some other scientific thing that I do not have any idea about what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I doubt myself that you're speaking English even. There's apparently one listener today mm-hmm. in the chat room mm-hmm. 
His name is Sean. Mm -hmm. He has been listening to the Brewing Network and has been hanging out in the chat room for 15 hours now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Just been there for 15 hours today? Yes. And he didn't tell me. Somebody else told me about him because this guy just came back from brewing and he said, wow, I can't believe that Sean is still here. Is he speaking and talking? Because he might not be there. Maybe his computer is just No, no, he is. Wow. So I think that deserves some honors and respect. He, 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 deser- he gets the, I have nothing better to do than hang out in the Brewing Network chat room. And wait for people to get there. Honor. Because what Plus, we're saying is profound. That's and it's right. Worth the ra- he has climbed the mountain. He waited. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And he also helped some other of our listeners with his first all-grain brew today. Oh, that's good. So, Sean, props to you, my oh, friend. Yeah. So 15 hours. What does that mean? He's been there since Tuesday or so? No, Justin. Not <laughs> 8 a.m., huh? What's the time now? No, yeah. even earlier than at 5 a.m. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Good for him. Glad it, I'm glad it worked out. Now he's got a bunch of people to talk to. Imagine if it was no show today. <laughs> Poor guy would have killed himself. Okay. And no Bruce show either. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. If the soluble nitrogen ratio, the SNR, as we like to call it. Or S over T. <laughs> or the Hartong value is below th- about 36 Will body and mouth feel suffer from the lower temp mash rest? Well, I would say, you know, that's a red flag. That that means that your your malt is not very well modified. Okay. So, you know, we're talking about the potential of, of glucans. And so I would, you know, um, usually you would want an S over T ratio of oh, over 40% or over 40 Um. And you don't want it too high because that means that you've you have over modified malt. In other words, you have malt that you know, you've you've lost too much extract. Okay. Yeah. Over modified and then you won't get out of the endosperm what you want. Yeah, exactly. You've eaten up too the endosperms are eating up too much of its reserves. Yeah. They yeah, the germ has yeah. has because I was thinking that it was going to grow. It really wanted it to grow. It was trying. <laughs> and we killed it. And we killed it. <laughs> Killers. <laughs> if you're breaking down the cellulose, are you creating methanols during fermentation? Uh, no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer it like I would. <laughs> um, yeah. You're going you're gonna to have methanol in there anyway. Yeah. We always have methanol when we ferment. Methanol. Yes. Yeah. Is there methanol? Yeah, because uh, it's that's one of the main things. There's a problem in distilling. Mm-hmm. Is the first stuff to come off. You're concentrating everything, so the first thing that you're going to have to get rid of is the first runnings, and the methanol comes off first before the ethanol does. So you're saying any time that alcohol is being produced, pretty much, yeah, just a different amount. So you have a, you have a little bit of methanol in there, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. But it's such a small amount; it's not really going to matter. But as soon as you start to concentrate it with uh, distilling, one of the big problems is when people make applejack. Mm. Should I tell them how to make applejack? <laughs> Why not, <laughs> Doc? Basically, <laughs> apple <laughs> applejack is like making an ice cream. You make a, 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 a apple cider, uh-huh. and you freeze it, and everything. Then you take out the water, and then you freeze it again. And you mm-hmm. take out the water, uh-huh. and then you freeze it again, and you take out the water. And what you're doing is concentrating all the alcohol in there. Oh, because the alcohol's all not going to freeze. Yeah, alcohol, but freeze. it gets harder and harder to freeze as mm-hmm. it goes because less and less water's there. And as you keep taking it out, so the stuff gets stronger and stronger. But uh, it's not like distilling where you can separate out the methanol. You're actually concentrating that in there too. Yeah, it's a big headache maker. 
And so then you end up just oh, with like a, a, a apple flavored liquor. Yeah. Like straight alcohol though. Yeah, but yeah, it's apple flavored. It's like really strong, almost like a brandy. Oh, okay. But we're not talking Everclear here. We're talking No, no, brandy. it's it's no, it's like a yeah, it's like a like an apple brandy, but it's not as smooth. Yeah. When did you make your how old were you when you made your first batch <laughs> of Applejack, doc? I think I'm probably 15, I think. <laughs> Are you uh, serious? Yeah, we find lots of different ways to do that. <laughs> Doc was a mad scientist <laughs> yeah. even when he was 15. Wow. That's funny. I got a lot of friends in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Where'd you get that liquor? From soon-to-be Doc? Proto-Doc. Okay. We all uh, got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, how about this? I didn't know why back then I gave us headaches, though. Yeah. <laughs> <Now> <laughs> I know now, know. but I didn't yeah, know then. Know. It's like that guy in, in Oregon, you read about him? He he, he uh, decided he wanted to do himself in, so he attacked his head with a, a nail gun. Oh, yeah, he didn't have nine nails in his head? It's something like that, yeah, two-inch nails, and... And he went to the ER and complained of a headache. Oh, there's the same. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and they couldn't, you know, these are like finished nails. Yeah. So yeah. Right, they couldn't see anything. And they x-rayed. And yeah. <laughs> what's up with this? There, there was a guy last <laughs> That's year. brilliant. There was a guy last year. His, uh, I think his fiance or something was a dental assistant. And he kept complaining of a toothache. Yeah. And the dentist took an x-ray of it, and he had a 16-penny nail that it was shot up straight up into his upper jaw right by the first molar here. Yeah. I mean, it just missed his eye. It was so long. And he and he said he had an accident with a, with a nail gun or something. But that was days before, and he didn't even know that it – whatever. It probably I'm thinking it probably got jammed, and the doofus grabbed it with his teeth to unjam oh, it. Oh, and, and, and then it, he shot and it. And he shot it up in there. He just thought it fired. He didn't know it got in there because it didn't hurt right away. But then it started hurting after about three days, and I saw the x-ray. And there's a 16-penny nail going up in his skull. How does that not hurt right away? I uh, just find that mind-boggling that somebody could have a nail in their head and not know it for days at a time. And, yeah. and then realize, oh, I've got a headache because I've got, I I've shot got a myself headache, I got a Yeah, it was up in there. <laughs> Up that far, wow. and it's nasty looking. Thing. And you know, it took him three days to go to the doctor. Oh, That's insane. All right, I gotta move us along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. talk about a segue. Here. Yeah. Uh, well, here's I. I wanted to get into uh, the specialty malts quite a bit, but I think we're gonna have to really do a, a quickie version of it okay. if we can. So let me start it with this question right here. I think maybe this can get us into our quickie. Right. Uh, how do certain malts get that nutty flavor? Is there a way to enhance that flavor as well? They uh. So. Different okay. malts have all sorts of different. There's chocolate malt that has nothing to do with chocolate as a as a as a sugar and honey and, malt and, and all these things. All so you know, where are these things coming? Oh, this from? is great. Okay, well, all right. There are different categories here. Um, you may have heard of like biscuit malt, biscuit yeah. malts. Yeah. Okay. These are uh, are high, really high dried malts. Okay, so they're killed at a high temperature, um, and there there are so many variants. For example, Brees has something called the Caravienne and Caramunic malt, yeah. which is completely different from, say, the Weirman Caramunic and Caravienne. Um, the Brees version is a high, high dried malt. Okay, so it's kilned. It's not roasted, but it's kilned under conditions of high moisture and high temperature. So. It's almost stewed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the stewing is where you have a high temperature, high moisture condition where you have a little mini mash occurring inside the grain. 
So you have some conversion this of is, this the... This is Brees? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but then you have like the Weirman Karamunic, or yeah, they call it the Karamunic, the one, the two, and the three, and that's actually just a caramel malt. So where you take the green malt, okay, it hasn't been killed, and you transfer that into a roaster, and then you just roast it. It's a high temperature, high moisture condition. So these are the variations. And the result of this is that you have different flavors, okay? So a caramel malt or a crystal malt will give you that caramelly flavor, and you have different colors and different intensities and different flavors. Okay. Uh, but the nutty flavor would come with more of a high-dried malt. Okay. Because it have to do with the type of malt that they use to make these with, say, you know, whatever they're making in Germany as opposed to... Uh, Not really. It's more the conditions, the conditions of, of germination and kilning. Um, now, the, the what they call the dry roasted malt is where you take a kiln malt and you put that into a roaster. And that would be the amber malt, the brown malt, and then going into the real dark stuff like the uh, chocolate malt and the black malt. Okay. And that gives you completely different flavors, of course. And no enzymes. Absolutely. No no starch and no enzymes. That's just flavor that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, just flavor. Flavor and, and color. Yeah, and, and a little goes a long way. And then, of course, you have the roasted barley, which is unmalted barley that ha- they just roast it to, you know, to a very, very dark color. Okay. And that gives a real nice kind of coffee-like unmalted. flavor. Unmalted. Yeah, unmalted barley that's that's been roasted. That's okay. the roasted barley. All right. I gave you that question at the break there. Uh, did did we find an answer to that uh, guy there? How many pounds of malt are yielded per acre of land? And that's a very important parameter that I do not have stored in my memory bank. Okay. Um, but I could tell you that it is a very important parameter, and that's under the heading of agronomics. Um, when when they talk about malt as having good agronomics, they mean things like uh, like yield per acre. Okay. And uh, because after all, it needs to be worthwhile for the farmer to grow that. And it's on a per grain basis, I'm sure too. Uh, you know what what the strain is. Each one has its own agronomic value. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. All right. So sure. if you were to look, if you really want to know, you need to look it up on a per strain basis and look up the agronomics of that grain. Yeah, okay. and that's that's a very it's a very important uh, strain characteristic and a very important parameter because that farmer, of course, you know, he could grow feed barley. Yeah, you know, if 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 that if actually it gives him a, a higher yield per acre, and that of course would determine the price too. Okay, if he's, yeah, you know, if he's selling it per pound. Yeah. That you know maybe he gets a lower yield per acre, but then he gets more more dollars per pound than it's worthwhile. Okay. So leave it to the farmer to do the math. Right. And I'm handing you these questions now too because uh, some of them are even out of my asking ability. I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about there. Do they check the grain for claviceps purpurea? Mm-hmm. Purpurea. Um, that is a fungus, and um, that I don't know. We don't do any of that checking. You actually um, buy the grain from others and distribute it. Yeah, so exactly. All the checking would have been done. Yeah, and clav- now is that is that ergot? 
Is that responsible for ergot? Because it sounds awfully familiar. I don't know. Um, You're asking, <laughs> yeah. certainly uh, asking yeah. the wrong person. Yeah, that, uh, ergot is a kind of a fungus um, that uh, can lead to actually some really nasty, well, hallucinations. I mean, you, oh. you heard of uh, St. Vitus's Dance, hmm. which is actually ergotism, yeah. which is a condition caused by a uh, hallucinogenic compound produced by these contaminating fungi. Oh, that's terrible. Where do you and get that? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we'll, we'll talk about it act after the yeah. show. Um, Off the air. Thank yeah. Um, I can't give you any. I can sell you. Yeah, <laughs> but that's... Yeah. But actually, um, I don't know of any cases where where people drinking beer has af- have actually um, had uh, problems with hallucinations unless they drank too much beer. Well, if you count the uh, the heavy girl at the end of the bar looking real nice, then that's a bit of a hallucination, if you ask yep. me. The beer goggle effect. Yeah, yeah, that that happens, but it has nothing to do with claviceps purpurea. Oh, right. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. It's too bad. <laughs> Can you tell us about, and I'm not going to pronounce that right either, Atnum hops? Oh, Atenum hops. Atenum hops. hops. You know about these guys? Yeah. Um, that you know is about a pro- them? That is a proprietary hop. It's it's sold exclusively by uh, Yakima Chief. Mm. Um, and personally, I have not brewed with that, that particular hop. Okay. So I, I can't really tell you a whole lot about Do you, it. Have you guys gotten a hold of those to distribute them yet? Do you, you know? Uh, no, because we, we, we actually distribute our own hops in other words we we contract with the individual growers mm. and we uh we sell actually select hops in other words if that particular grower has a hops but the hops are actually not not up to crack then we won't sell them we won't buy them from that grower gotcha um but a certain uh certain hop suppliers have some proprietary hops. Right. Um, like Yakima Chief has a Atenum. We have a new strain of hop that's um, that has become very popular. It's called Summit. Okay. So I mentioned earlier on in the show. So yeah. It's a, a low-call humulone, high-alpha hop. It's it's on the sort of fruity, citrusy side. Okay. Um, it's, it's actually very, very aromatic. Are you getting that out to homebrew shops yet? Um, Did you bring yeah. it with you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, sh- I should have. Actually, stop right your, your actually, I, um, Bernie over at uh, Oak Barrel, um, he's he's gotten the sample, and I think he's interested in it. Okay. So it should be should spread. I'll spread the word. It's it's All really right. it's wonderful, especially in pale ales. Okay. If my beer freezer is at 35 degrees Fahrenheit, is that a good place to store my grains? The listener wants to know. Oh, does it matter about being cold like that? Uh, no, you don't want to do that because oh. with with cold you get condensation. With condensation you get mo- uh, you get moisture. With moisture you get oxidation and mold. Hmm. So keep you know keep the grain um, sealed and at you know like at room temperature is fine. Okay, but you, you know you don't want to you don't want to chill down your your grain. Okay. You ready for... Uh, Besides, you should have beer in there, yeah. Yeah. not grain. Yeah. We have one more question. Yeah. I don't know if we've answered this before. I'll just ask it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
will the addition of diatomaceous earth and grain to kill insect, insects affect the flavor? What is that word? Oh, diatomaceous earth? That there. sounds good. Yeah. Kieselgur, in, in <laughs> you know Kieselgur, the, the German. Kieselgur? Yeah. No. I oh, that's the that's a German. It's it's fossil earth or uh, yeah, okay. it's, it's pool yeah. filter. Yeah, pool filter, <laughs> filter aid. And so the question is, is if you, yeah, if you combine it with the the grain to kill the uh, you know any contaminating insects. Right. Yeah. And will that affect the flavor? Um, no, it shouldn't. Okay. Um, it shouldn't if it's, um. One caveat is that you want to use you don't want to use swimming pool grade because it does have a higher uh, iron content. Okay. And you want to avoid iron in the beer. Okay. And you know I don't know how much you know is is being used. Right. So you know if it's if it's swimming pool grade then maybe I would avoid it. Gotcha. Low iron diatomaceous earth. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for uh, Stump the Grain Guy? Oh, no. No, 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 not that. No, no. <laughs> we don't have prizes to give away today anyway, so it, uh, okay. you're off the hook. It's easy. Okay. <laughs> All right, here you go. We some of those new hops mm-hmm. that... In the see. barley seed, there is a layer that separates the bran and the germ from the endosperm. Name that layer. It's the alurone layer. You are correct, sir. All right. What is the what is an acrospire? An acrospire. It's another word for the shoot. The sprout at the end of the seed when it begins to germinate. Yeah. Right. The shoot. Mm-hmm. Easy enough. See, told you you get off easy today. Mm. So far. <laughs> no. It's gonna keep coming. This one's good though. Uh oh. <laughs> they always give you one of these. What is the exact count of grains in one pound? Of grains. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Henning's question. It's from the wife of a brewer. Not uh, even a brewer throws that at has you. Has she counted okay. these herself? Yeah, I wonder. Oh man! <laughs> if she's um, frugal, she may have. Well, you know, that's not a. Fa- it's not an not accurate, fair. and it's not a fair question. There is no answer because it depends upon the grain. As we were talking, it, if it's it, fat, then it would be lower yeah. and if if they're weeny little grains, then they're more. I give it to you. You are correct, sir. Not wow. stumped. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are the two parts of the barley corn that constitutes the husk? This one comes from Australia, doesn't it? Yeah, this is from Oz in Australia. Uh, the inside and the outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The two parts of the husk. Yeah, that says the two, yeah two parts of the barley corn that constitutes the husk. Oh, well, I don't know, mate. Yeah. Um, How about I give you one of them? See if you oh, if you did. Crikey! If we're uh, on this. <laughs> <yeah>. The <laughs> lemma. Oh, the lemma. Yes, I know. And um, there's another one because <laughs> there's the two parts. The on. Right, it says lemma and paleo. Oh yes. Is that right? Yeah. It is right. Um, yeah, that's right. Oz it's does not, it again. It's not even in Australian. <laughs> yeah. It's universal. <laughs> it's universal. Yeah. But that's right. Those are the two parts of the husk? Yeah. What is it? Is that basically the inside and the outside, like Doc said? Just two different... No. Oh. Um, <laughs> the lemma and the paleo, <laughs> um, 
Well, there's it's like the concave and the com. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry about this it. This is an accident. <laughs> you don't get off easy. Here, that was a trick question. The lemma. In Australian, it's called the lemma. lemma. All right. Okay. That's going to do it. It's 8 o'clock, guys. Night. One oh. hour to uh, Sprout oh or two God. hours. What time is it on again? Nine. Ten, isn't it? No, it's on a nine. I can't remember. <laughs> All right. It gives you one hour to cook dinner, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Frank Commande from Brewer Supply Group. Sir, thank you very much for coming in here. All right. It's it's a pleasure. That was really a lot of fun, and uh, you know, we I think hardly touched the surface on, on some of those things, as usual. Uh, even though, Doc, I, you know, I'm going to stop listening to any complaints about the length of our show because it doesn't matter. It's still never enough time. No, it's not. <laughs> it's no. really not. I remember when we started this show. It was, yeah. No, we got to cut it off. And you know, are we going to make it two hours? Yeah. And we, no, we got to cut it off anyway. And now hours. it's still, it's just not enough time, no matter what you do. But so. uh, one of the listeners was talking about the same thing. It's uh, you know, the other shows can go an hour and a half, two hours, but you know, yeah. when we do this show. Yeah, there's just no room to cram it all in, but it's a good time because it works for his commute. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's what we get a lot too because <laughs> because it works for both directions of the commute. Yeah, <laughs> you get half of the show on your way to that work and half on the way back. Long live beer! Mm-hmm. All right, absolutely. Archive two. So thank you to Frank, right. and uh, you can download this archive, of course, and also click on Brewer Supply Group right there on our main page. It'll be there for another couple of days. And what's your website if they want to go directly to that, Frank? Uh, we're www.brewersupplygroup.com. There you go. And you there can you check go. it out even if just you can't purchase directly from them. Hey, why don't you guys per- uh, do the direct... You know why can't I buy from you? Ah, well, we we have to have a good relationship with our, with um, with the brewer, uh, the homebrew suppliers, mm-hmm. and if we undercut them, yeah. you know, by supplying basically their uh, their customers, right. then they would suffer, and they need to benefit for the for, from the relationship. Gotcha. So somewhere in the beginning, someone just established, listen, this is our business plan. Rather than be the go-to guy, we're going to supply the go-to guys. I'm sure right. if you wanted a pallet of grain, mm-hmm. you, yeah. might, you might be able to get it's, it. It's from. happened. You know, if, for example, it's a homebrew club um, off in the boonies somewhere, yeah. and they, really, they, they don't have access okay. to, uh, to a retail store. But we really like to support the retailers because, in fact, it's not just they're a source of grain, but they're also a source of information. And I, I'm, I'm a witness. I see how hard they work in dealing with customers on an individual basis yeah. and serving their individual needs. And, and I want to support that. Okay. Oh, that's fair enough. That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Did you prepare that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really a good reason. And, and uh, we had Ralph Olson from Hop Union and, and kind of the same deal. And he said, listen, I, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly give that customer service to everybody. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, go to the, the suppliers like the B3 and the Northern Brewer because they give the customer service, you know, better than I could to every single person. So that's a good point. Yeah. So check them out anyway. You can see all the products that they do deal in. And it's a great, uh, pretty informative website just to have a look around at. And you can... And just check that out and uh, maybe send them an email. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, all right. Let's see. Next week, Doc, I think what we're looking at is either we were looking at possibly doing a mead show, but I, I, I'm going to not do that, I think. I'm going to postpone it because we had someone lined up and then they're not lined up now, and I don't want to rush into that one. 
So what I it's think better to have somebody lined up that can deal. Can come through and really hang. So what I think we're going to do next week is do finings and uh, the, the finishings of beer. Because we've really sort of gone through the whole gamut here in the last few weeks. Okay. And I want to talk about different finding agents and, and how we get our beer clear all the way from uh, the stuff we put in it to filtering it. Good. So, and what uh, causes the haze and how to get it out of there. Absolutely. All those all different right. things. So we're going to talk about finishing and fining. Um, you know, maybe even bottle conditioning. We can throw that in if there's time. And all of the end of the process stuff because we've gone through all of the processes, I think, over the last six weeks here. So um, we'll get into that next week. Okay, good. All right. Not sure who our guest is going to be, but uh, we'll let you know as soon as we do. I have Th- an idea. Of our guest already? Okay, very good. Let's do that. I got a couple clues, too, and we'll get that all lined up for you, and that'll be next week's show if you want to learn how to finish the process, get the best beer you possibly can. A reminder, there is no show in the first Sunday in May or the last Sunday in May. Uh, We've been going at it every single Sunday since the beginning. Uh, I'm out of town May 7th and and also May 28th. So uh, I'll be here. (laughs) <laughs> Daniela will do the show. Although in the middle of May, we got two great shows for you. Ray Daniels is going to be here on the 14th. And the long-anticipated cider show is the Sunday after that. Yeah, so. the one you guys been barking for for yes, so long. <laughs> exactly. So we will get those ready for you and uh, do that whole thing. And also, please don't forget, June 4th is our anniversary show. And we're planning a big deal for you. If you live in the area, plan to be on location. We'll be inviting you to a place to go and do the show with us. That's June 4th. I will unfold the surprises as they come. Daniela, anything else? No, I'm good. I thought you were waving your hand at me for something. Well, I always do, don't I? (laughs) But nothing important? It's all good. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. And thanks to Frank Commande from Brewer Supply. Thanks Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, you know what I am talking about. But don't you give